This week's episode of I Was a Teenage Film Snob is not brought to you by a sponsor, as always. It is, however, a collaboration with the Reviewing History podcast. Uh, Brian and the boys have gone out of their way to record an amazing Christmas special this year. It's going to drop on the 20th of November, and that's the 20th of November US time. If you're in Australia, that's the 21st of November. Uh, it's going live on Bandcamp, and you can purchase it. Uh, and half the proceeds uh, for each episode purchased is going to be going to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. It's a fantastic cause. The boys run a great show. Um, so go ahead and check that one out. I'll be buying my one as soon as it drops. Um, <clears throat> so just head over to bandcamp.com, uh, type in Reviewing History, and you'll be able to get that one there. I'll have the link in the episode description and all over Instagram as well. But go support the boys. Go listen to their free show. Go buy the Christmas special uh, and support a worthy cause while having some laughs at the same time. I was a teenage film snob. I'm James Chalmers, your friendly neighborhood film snob. And guys, this week, this is a bit of a, a mold breaker of an episode. We've got a huge guest on today, definitely the biggest guest I've ever had. And it's a, a real personal victory for me because it's someone close to something I've been in love with for so long. Uh, I've talked about podcasting, uh, the podcasts I enjoy and why I've done it. And today's guest uh, is, is very unique and very, very special. So I can't wait to talk to him. Uh, he is a, uh, a teacher, a filmmaker a TESD Army resident. Uh, he also works on the Tell Them Steve Day Patreon. And when he's not doing all that, he's hosting his own brilliant podcast as well called Reviewing History. So from Staten Island, welcome a true maverick. Uh, it's Brian Rupert. Welcome to the show, mate. Oh, thank you for the kind words. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I should never be called uh, the biggest guest. Am I, uh, I have too much of an ego. You don't want to raise me like that. You're better off just crushing me down. No, not at all, man. This is very cool. Like, I haven't talked about some of the, the podcasts too much on the show, but people who know me know I love Tell Them Steve, Dave. And, um, yeah, knowing you're involved with that production and then also having your own brilliant show, which I listened to recently, like, it's a, it's, I was, you messaged me and you're like, can I be on the show? And I was flattered, but it's just a, it's a true honor to have you here. So I'm going to blow that ego up as much as possible. Don't worry. Thank you, man. I'm happy to do it. Um, I, I saw your podcast. Uh, I looked through like what it's about kind of quickly on the Instagram. And I was like, you know, I like this. I think uh, I could gel with this show and bring something to the table for you. So I'm here and I'm going to try to uh, do my best for you and try to give you something pretty cool and fun. So. No, very cool. Um, and how, I didn't even ask you, how did you find the show? Like, because I'm terrible with promoting it. I just like post, you know, what I have to and then I get offline. So how did you come across the show? So I am desperate to get the word out about my show. So I'll just go on like um, the Tell Him Steve Dave Instagram and anybody who follows it, I'll just follow everybody. Nice. So nice I definitely follow, <laughs> I'm willing to bet heavily that you follow them. And I followed you there at some point. And, you know, um, we have a big project coming up and I'm just trying to get the word out as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I happened to see your show as I was like, thinking about who I could contact and stuff. And I, I looked a little bit at the Instagram clips. And I was like, okay, I think uh, this is a good fit. So I reached out. I, it's it's so funny you say that because up until maybe two or three weeks ago, I wasn't following Tell Them Steve Dave with my uh, with my podcast account, just my personal one. I was like, why aren't I following them? I'm a podcast there. I should follow it. So you must have just like 
just found me at the right time because up until very recently, I didn't follow them at all. So good thing I did. We made it happen. Yeah. Uh, and that's my advice to anybody that is trying to like grow something on Instagram. Just follow everybody and try to get as many followbacks as you can because promotion is the fucking hardest thing with this stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling with it on my show, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I am. Um, and that's where I'm really terrible. Like, I'm really good at following back, but I almost never instigate the follows. So I will follow everyone back who follows me, but yeah, I'm terrible with it. Like I got to get better at that for sure. Yeah. When you're taking a dump, just try to dedicate like the first five minutes to be like, all right, let me follow like 20 people and just bang it out quick. I mean, that's what that time is reserved with all, it's all my podcast promotion is checking the streams <laughs> and stuff like that. So hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I want to talk to you about movies today. Obviously, you're a big movie yeah. fan because you've got your own movie podcast. But before that, I want to jump into um, your show, Reviewing History, which is a wonderful show. Uh, I've only listened to one episode. Um, so whenever I have a guest who's a podcast, I want to check the show, make sure it's a good vibe and stuff like that. And also, I want to have a bit of you know an understanding of your show so we can talk about it knowledgeably. Um, wonderful show. Love it. I think it's really great. How did the idea of that podcast come about? So years ago, um, we, the three of us, me, Anthony and Steve, my co-hosts, we had another podcast and we weren't consistent with it and we really didn't take it seriously. And it just kind of ended up dying. And it, at points, it just became the three of us just talking politics and stuff like that. And, you know, we're not always going to agree, but we mostly agree. And it's kind of just became a political circle jerk. So I was like, you know what, let's start a new show. Let's start fresh. Uh, let's talk about history. We don't have to talk about politics. We never have a need to bring politics in, you know, and as far as like what we believe or anything, because we're talking about history. Um, and then I, my original idea was that we would do random history events every episode and talk about that. Right. Yep. And Anthony was like, why don't we do history movies? That's better. And we kind of blended the two. So we do three uh, movie episodes a month and we do one what's called a pick episode where yep. we talk about random history and we pick the next thing we're going to watch. So it really came about just because we were like, this is something we could have fun with. We never have to talk politics or, you know, it's, it's just an entertainment show where hopefully you learn a little and we don't have to worry about, you know, offending people or alienating viewership or anything. It's like anybody could listen to the show regardless. Yeah. Um, no, I love it. And when I kind of first listened to the show, I was like, what a wonderful niche. Because, you know, 10 years ago, not everyone had a podcast. Um, I've been doing it for about a decade as well. I've had a number of shows. And with this one, I was like, you know what? I've got to stop collaborating. And it's not nothing to do with my co-host. It's the fact that we all have different schedules. But if I do it on my own, I can control it. I have rotating guests and then I can do the show that I want. So this is kind of like the prime version of what it was, what's all been building up to. But everyone's got a podcast now so and everyone wants to talk about movies like it's not new so how do you find that niche and i think that kind of amalgamation of movies plus history is so unique and i haven't really heard anything else like it um put on top of that that the three of you have such a wonderful chemistry and are so entertaining and then you get great guests as well it's like a match made in heaven i think it's a, a an excellent show so um thank thank you yeah it's you know, you're in the position where you kind of get to be dictator, which is nice, you yeah. know, like we have all the power um, with me. It's kind of like um, I'm almost like a matador, like I'm trying to guide <laughs> these two bulls or, you know, to get them to try to, like, do what my vision is, because, you know, Anthony was just on a show recently and he was like, I'm the driving force and I kind of am like I'm like pushing everybody. So it's kind of like. You know, 
I'm trying to steer them to what I want and they have their own ideas and it's kind of us working together. And I think we come out in the end with a very fun product where you get a little bit of pieces of everything, you know, but I got to admit when I hear you're in control of everything, the dictator in me is like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because that means all the work falls to me. So I've got to do all the scheduling. I don't know if you can see behind me, that is a whiteboard I bought this year to take care of all of my episodes. Um, I do have all my topics planned out for the next two years, so there's that. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, but like, well, we just do top five lists. Like, it's not nothing clever. It's just, you know, what do we get? What's our top five? What's our next top five list? Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of work in there, but it does mean I can, you know, kind of really shape the show. And then when I get really great guests on, I can take the back seat and just let them talk. Because that's what this show is. It's a platform for my guests. It's like, I can facilitate, but if I've got a great guest on, I want the audience to hear them and talk about what they love. So, um, so yeah, there is an element of dictatorship there, but there is the work that comes with it. Um, but I don't like think that so. there's no perfect system. I think the perfect perfect system would be me to get a, a you know an assistant, be like you do all the booking and I'll just do the shows. But don't have yeah, the cloud to- for that yet. <laughs> when you have enough money where you can get someone to do all the editing and all like the bitch work, that's yeah. the sweet spot. You know, that's that's where I want to get to because. You know, right now me and Steve are trading off editing the episodes and all that, and it's like, it sucks. It's like, yeah, I'd rather <laughs> go up, do the show, and then like go away. But we're we're not there yet, so we're still putting in the work. <laughs> It'll be someday soon, I'm sure. Um, I, I like, I don't even edit my shows. Like, unless someone specifically requests them to get taken out, I'm like, yeah, we sound like morons. We, we're people talking on the internet. Of course, we sound like morons. We'll leave it. It's fine. Uh, and uh, and you got a project coming up in November now. I don't know if you can talk about it yet. It's October oh, right now. We are recording in advance. But do you want to talk a little bit about this project coming up? Yeah, definitely. So you're a big Tell Him Steve Dave listener. Mm-hmm. I, for years before I started, you know, working with them, I I'm, was a T, that TESD listener. I still am. Uh, it's my favorite podcast. Like when the yeah. new one drops, it's like the highlight of my week. It's like, yes, I'm jumping on right away. Yep. Um, it, I love them. And my favorite thing is honestly the Christmas pods. Yes. Yes. So, that's so good. Every year, tell them Steve Dave drops a Christmas pod and it's filled with games and Christmas talk and all that. It's like I look forward to it all year. Every year, right before the – like right after Thanks American Thanksgiving, I listen – I re-listen to every Christmas pod. So I've heard Me them too. all. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard them all countless times. So I was like, I want us to do a Christmas pod um, – something different that's not breaking the show because that's a thing with our show is like we have a format and we can't really i can't do be like oh let's just watch home alone right yeah it's like we're limited in what we can watch so i was like let's do a christmas pod where we'll get a bunch of guests we're gonna play christmas games i called in as many favors as i could I had guests come in and we played Christmas games and did a full TESD style Christmas pod. That's awesome. I think think it came out awesome. I'm so, so proud of it. Uh, As a bonus, uh, in addition to it, we're also going to cover It's a Wonderful Life. So it's the first time we're doing a movie not based on history where we're just going to kind of talk. Um, And what we're doing with this is half of the month. This is the first thing we're doing behind a paywall. So it's. It's five dollars, uh, five American dollars. It's on Bandcamp. Half the money is going to go to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Wonderful. So, so we're raising money for charity, and we're kind of putting some money back into the show. We're trying to feed, you know, both masters. So, uh, 
you know, that's a charity that's near and dear to my heart. I'm trying to pimp it up. I'm trying to help the show and, you know, hopefully it all works together. So, uh, if you go to bandcamp.com, you could pre-order the album the week of, uh, you know, November 20th. And then on the 24th at midnight Eastern standard time, the album will be up for sale to drop and you will have, you know, about four to five hours of fun Christmas content. Awesome. We'll definitely get that information again from the end of the show. So don't, if I forget, remind me, we'll definitely put it in. Um, and when the episode drops, we'll definitely um, pop a link in there as well. So people can go there and check it out. Um, Thank you. If anyone's like, if you haven't listened to tell them Steve day, first of all, go and listen to it. It is, it's my favorite podcast as well. Like it, I, I was I found them through Smodcast. Smodcast is wonderful, but Bri, what Bri Walton Q have created is something. It's it's perfect. Like it's all it's like it's, it's, there's not a bad episode in there for me. I think they always come up with something unique. Um, and their Christmas episodes Bonnet are Heads wonderful. Is your favorite episode, right? Sorry, Bonnet Heads is your favorite episode. The Nelly episode. I, I liked Bonnet Heads. I, I was. <laughs> I don't have a bad episode. If I look with tell them to be honest, I listen to the Make and Hate trilogy every year. Um, I always listen to those. I listen to Vinyl Cast to every year, um, at least at least a couple of times. I, th- um, I think that their award show they're talking about should be Vinyl Cast three. Personally, like that's where I think they should go with it. Oh, that is a good idea. Um, that's that. You would have noticed that sneaky dr- reference to a Maverick in my intro. I was like, No, yeah, I, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to that at work the other day. I was like, I'm going to call him a Maverick on my show. Um, not that Ming will ever hear it. Um, yeah. So if you're doing anything that approximates what a Tez Day Christmas special is, it's going to be incredible. Um, and we're actually going to do something similar with our show this year as well, not to steal your thunder. Oh, but we, nice. didn't, we didn't do a Christmas show last year because it was just too busy. It was the end of the year and everyone has crazy schedules. And I was the same thing. I'm like, what, we're going to do our top five favorite Christmas films? Like, we can do that once. Like, so what are we going to do? So we're going to yeah. do like a big, like, end of the year kind of kind of quiz quiz um, quiz show type thing. This is the first time I've talked about it on air. So there you go. Oh. It's been de- debuted on on Brian's uh, episode, which is great. Um, we are going to talk about movies, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask. And it is going to be mainly about you, but I'd love to know, what's it like working on the Patreon with the Tesdy boys? Like, that's got to be a hell of a gig. So, um, it is awesome, man. Like, I really, I never take it for granted of how lucky I am because it's not every day when you love something and you get to just step in and be a part of that world. Like, like Quentin Tarantino isn't going to just like, you know, be like, hey, Brian, you just want to help me out with this thing. <laughs> like the New York Jets, my favorite football team, aren't going to be like, come help us like work on our draft room and our trades. Like, so like tell him Steve Dave is something that, you know, I've re-listened to the catalog a couple of times that it's like, it's surreal that I get to be a part of this world. Like, yeah. and it really is awesome. Like, the guys have never made me feel like an asshole or a dick or like I don't belong. Um, Walt is legitimately like one of the nicest people in the world. He, he seems it. He really seems it. Yeah. He, he really is. He's like the best guy ever. Um, you know, I love doing the show. Uh, anytime they need me to do something, I'm game. Uh, yeah. Whatever it may be, you know, they, I had a show on the Patreon at one point. I don't know if it's coming back, a license to pod where we cover. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that we get to do that again, but like anything I get to do, like, um, it'll be out by the time this drops, but I just, um, did another Sunday drive where it's Walt and Sunday, Jeff driving around. We went to like a farm and filmed some stuff and I think it came out awesome. 
Nice. So, no. It's just really cool, man. They're they're just they're great regular people, you know. No one is stuck up. No one's an asshole. Yeah, and you never get that vibe from them either. But like as I said, like I can't remember if I talked about it in the recording it was before, but this is the closest I've ever been to it before. Like I met Gidham. Like that's like a like you know people listening to this might be like, who's what, what's a Gidham? But like to me, I'm like. He's been in my life for over a decade, and he doesn't even realize it. it's like that's cool to me. Um, so the fact that you get to work with those guys is very, very cool. And yeah, like I can't imagine working them would ever be. Yeah, like I don't can imagine them in jerks or anything. They seem like pretty like down to earth, pretty cool guys. So yeah, so. they're they're the best, man. You know, it's like the atmosphere at Airport Plaza is like always great. Um, I have a blast whenever I get called in for a project. You know, whether it's Chuck or Victor, and like it's just cool seeing what the unique stuff they're creating is and like just being a part of it. I'm so lucky. And like the fact that they let me do my show here, you know, where it's like, I mean, I'm not under the T as the umbrella with my show, but it's like what we do does kind of reflect on them. Like their artwork is in our background and stuff. And like the fact that they have the confidence that, you know, in our show that we're not going to, you know, do anything dumb or like make them look bad is, you know, it's great. Yeah, really and most of them have been on your show as well. I know um, I just listened to Bri- one of Bri's episodes. I know Will, uh, not Will, what am I saying? Walt, uh, my brain is not working today. Uh, so Bri's been on, Walt's been on, and Gidham's been on. So you've had just about all of them on at this stage as well, haven't they? Yeah, Q is, um, I haven't got him yet. Uh, to be honest, he's so busy. Yeah. That it's, I'm, I'm scared to ask him. And like he, like everywhere he goes, he's asked for stuff. So yeah. I kind of never want to be the person to ask him to do something. I definitely want it to happen. I think it will at some point, but you know, I'm not going to push it too hard, but you I know, bet, I've I... had... sorry, go on. No, I've had like a lot of the alumni on, you know, mm. like, like not the main three, but I've had, you know, Frank five, father yeah. land, get him. LaDondo, yeah. LaDondo, Jimmy, the hair guy. Um, <laughs> And and I'm gonna have more, you know, as yeah. as we go on. Yeah, no, nice one. I, I bet you, if you offered him a, like a Zoom option, this would be like, all right, if I can do it from my house, it's fine. <laughs> like, I bet you'd go with that. But do, he likes talking about movies, so yeah. It's just I, I, you know, I just don't want to put another thing on his plate. That's of the course, thing. for sure, so. absolutely. Uh, nice one. I mean, that sounds awesome. And I figured it was, but I was like, I got to ask him about it. And I don't know how often you've been interviewed, but like with me. I want to know everything about everyone that comes on the show. So I was like, I'm just going to bombard you with questions about stuff. Oh, if you then... ask me, yeah, I'll ask. I'll answer anything, man. Uh, and if you, if it's too much, you can just be like, hey, shut up. And I'm like, all right, cool, we'll move on. No, um, I'm, a, I'm an open book. Anything you want to know, I'm happy to tell you. No, well, I want to make it about you. Like, I've got to, you know, whilst I that love the Tesla and the boys, I've got to put my fandom aside because, you know, <laughs> we're here to promote your stuff as well. So let's jump into it. Um, clearly, you're a movie fan. Listen to that show, like of yours, it's very, very obvious. When does it start for you? When do you kind of realize like, oh, I love this. This is like part of who I am. When, when does the fandom really begin? So it's interesting because like I've always watched movies like, you know, I think um, I'm assuming you're about my I'm I just turned 36. I'm assuming you're roughly my age. I'll be turning 35 in about a month. So, yeah. OK, yeah. So our generation, you know, we were raised having VHS tapes where it's like. You would have like, you know, maybe 10 and you would cycle through those 10 as a little kid and you'd watch the same movies again and again and again. Yeah, for sure. So that's how it was for me. Like I, I always watched movies. I love movies. Um, I it just it was not something where I really was conscious about or I thought about. But like I always liked going to the movie theater. Like I always loved seeing movies. Um, I was really into sports, but, you know, I would still go see the big movies and stuff. And then later on in life, 
I kind of got hit with the cinephile bug mm-hmm. and I started seeing everything like yeah. like my personal goal, which is an unreachable goal, is to see every movie that has ever been made. Yeah, that's a, tough, that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I know it's an impossibility. And like but I like doing that to myself because it pushes me to watch and like to be open to see things that I normally wouldn't see, yeah. you know, and like. And like, you know, I'll hear about a movie and I'll be like, yeah, I'll watch it eventually if I'm not really interested. But like eventually I will. I do want like, you know, my dream would be to retire and just watch movies all day, you know? Yeah. So it's it's so funny. I had my goal hasn't been as ambitious. I think it's a great goal. But a few years back, I think it was like 2017, um, the year I got engaged, actually, I remember because it put a lot of pressure on my wife. But I was like, you know what? My top 10 favorite movies last year were all like tentpole movies. It was like Avengers films and like big action films and everything. There was no diversity. I was like, you know what? This year, I'm watching a movie every day, 365 and 365, and I've got to go into different genres, different decades. I've just got to push myself. And I think I ended up watching about 380 that year. So now my goal every year is to watch 200 movies at least. There can be some rewatches, but it's got to, there's going to be stuff from different decades, different genres, um, stuff that I wouldn't normally dabble in. I think this year I'm a... I think I'm at like 315 at the moment, I think. So I'm actually ahead of schedule, which is okay, crazy. Um, but yeah, I always try to mix it up because, yeah, like I was just like, look, it's, there's nothing wrong with having the Avengers in your top 10 every single year, but it's good to mix things up as well. So um, I, dig, I dig the ambition, um, but I don't know if I'll ever get there either. There's so much to watch. Yeah, exactly. It's especially now, you know, it's not like it used to be in like, when you think about like 60s, 70s, 80s films, it's, mm. there wasn't really this big independent movement since the nineties, it's only gotten more and more. And now with, you know, DSLRs and digital film, you know, it's, you could make a full feature for $5,000 and put it out there. So there's so much content now it's impossible to watch it all, but you know, I still have that goal in mind and it keeps me open. So, And, and the streaming is a killer. Like I have a bit of a notoriety on this show. This is a very positive show. We didn't really talk about the, like the, I guess the goal of the show before we record it, but this is very much like, well, if everyone's movie, if every movie is someone's favorite movie, then there are no bad movies. So it's a very positive show, but like notoriously, I do not like streaming. I have it as a necessity, but I just, I wish everything was still physical. I um, I have a big physical media collection myself. So I'm big on, that's not even all of it. (laughs) I, um, I I feel like with streaming, it really like makes that goal unreachable because there's like 40 new things every week it's like oh my god like you know it just makes it really difficult um it's it's um, cheap in film you know and it's kind of cheap in the art and it's made everything disposable because and like it's led to lazy filmmaking i feel where Mm -hmm. you're not meant to sit there and digest the movie and find a director's point of view you're meant to sit there as you're texting and you're on twitter as you vaguely get a story and, you know, you pick your head up when an action scene happens. It's like they're not like and it and it's a shame because it's like there's some movies that are on streaming that just like don't peek through and that are fantastic. Like like the my, like my favorite Christmas movie I've seen in the past five years is um. did you watch 8-Bit Christmas? No, I haven't even heard of it. I've not even heard of it. OK, um, I, I don't know. I know this like the, the rights and everything are different uh, here. It's on HBO Max. I strongly okay. recommend for the Christmas season giving 8-Bit Christmas a watch. I think I'm going to write fantastic. it down right now. Give me a second. I'll write it down. Um, so it's like a movie like that that like should have cultural sway and should be spoken about and has all the makings to be a Christmas classic 
is completely forgotten about and buried and can't break through because it's just buried and dead in streaming. It's like if movies are I view streaming as a graveyard for cinema. And yeah. it's like it's like you're just dumping stuff there and it's never seeing the light of day. And I think all these companies, they viewed streaming the wrong way. Mm-hmm. What streaming should have been, it shouldn't have been for new content. It Agreed. should have been, it should have been a film library. So yes. when you sign up for Disney Plus, you are getting access to the entire Disney library of all Disney movies, everything Touchstone. And once they bought Fox, all the Fox stuff. And you're getting access to that film library and this awesome film history. Yeah, and I agree. They just, they just put junk on there that that really feels like it wasn't made with any care yeah. and is just disposable and, and forgotten about after a day, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, and I don't, know if you, I don't know if you know this, but about a month or two ago, Disney did this huge – actually, they, it was very quiet. But Disney quietly announced that they were putting a stop to physical media in Australia. So Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is the last thing ever to get released in here. And they're like, you just have to find on Disney Plus now. And I guarantee you in six months, Disney Plus subscription is going to go up in terms of price because there's no other choice for the consumer. So now I have to import all my Disney titles from the UK um, or the States, which is crazy. Um, no, I 100% agree. I don't have a problem with streaming in theory. You know, streaming was meant to be this thing that kind of liberated us from cable. You know, cable was so expensive, so streaming was like a cheaper option. But now you're paying more in streaming services than you ever did in cable. It's crazy. And I'm still paying for cable because I still love cable. So like, <laughs> I, I I use cable to find movies. So like, yeah. I'll I'll go to my movie channels. You know, I have every movie package, and I'll and I'll start at the guide. I always start my guide at the first movie channel, and I'll go through. I'll be like, okay, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that. Oh, this looks interesting. I'll record it on the DVR, you know, yeah. and I'll go down and I'll record <laughs> all the things that like look interesting. And like, I, I found new movies that way, you know, like I've watched some John Wayne Westerns that I really wasn't familiar with and stuff like that. It's like, it's like, that's what you should have made streaming about. It should have been like a way to celebrate the history of your company. Yes. And yes. like, you still could have had your theatrical windows open. And it's like, you ate yourselves. You became an Ouroboros. You know, yeah. they were the snake eating their own tail. And it's it's been a dead end for all these companies. They have all gotten killed on it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I can go on and on about it. I've talked about so much of the show. <laughs> so that's where my notoriety kicks in. Like, oh my God, he's talking about streaming again. But it's true. Like, and the, I know that they've been saying physical media is dying, but they've been saying that since I worked in a, I worked in a video store as my first job back in 2004. They've been telling us it's been dying since then. It's been almost 20 years. So it's not dying. There is an audience out there who will pay for it. Change your model. Like, get your, you know, use your streaming properly. Ah, oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> so in the U.S., Best Buy uh, is one of the big electronic stores. And I read they actually, this. They announced, uh, I think, yesterday or today that no more – uh, after the holiday season, so I guess the start of the new year, they're removing their Blu-ray and DVD sections. Yeah. So like, there's no CDs, there's no DVDs, there's no Blu-rays. It's like, yeah. It's and like I love that stuff. You know, like I was just in a Best Buy the other day. I needed some like uh, film equipment, and as I'm walking through, I still will stop by the section to look through and see mm-hmm. if there's anything and unique and i mean now it's only one aisle it's not what it used to be but still it's like yeah you're taking the opportunity away from people and and it's really a shame and that's what it is it's the opportunity you know it's like look if you want to push a streaming service go for it but 
there are people who are physical media collectors. Look, I've, I've got people who I talk to on my Instagram page all the time, and they've been collecting for 30 years. They've been collecting since I was a child because they would buy, you know, Laserdisc or, you know, or Betamax, you know, Betamax and stuff like that as well. Like, people do that. Um, and vinyl had a resurgence, so I don't understand why they wouldn't do both. Like, just do smaller batches. You know what? Okay, the audience is dying, but there's still an audience. We'll do a limited release. Like they do with their steelbooks and stuff. It's a, it's a very unusual decision. Um, but, yeah. And like years ago, um, this is right in the pandemic. So as like all we were having, like all those race riots in America and stuff, Warner Brothers uh, was liquidating like a lot of their Blu-rays and DVDs. I went through as they were liquidating and I bought anything remotely controversial because I was like, mm. there's going to come a point where they're just going to remove this stuff. And it was like, you know, I bought some Fu Manchu movies and things like that, things I've never seen or really even heard of. But like, it's like, I just know this is going to go away at some point. And it's like, it, it you need to have that stuff or they could just take it away at a moment's notice. Like, um, like I know that Disney put out a whole Willow show and by all accounts, it wasn't good, but they've just erased it from their service. Like it never happened. Yeah. You know, they'll erase an entire feature. It's yeah. crazy. Or possibly even worse is they'll edit it. You know, they did that with the office. Um, I don't know if they did it in the States, but here in Australia, um, there was the Christmas episode where Nate comes as Black Peter, which is funny because there's a whole Tesdi bit on Black Pete in one of the Christmas yeah. specials. And like that's what I was referencing. It was like this weird decision. They're getting rid of it. It's meant to be bad. The idiot character is doing it. They're not celebrating it, but everyone's like, mm, it's insensitive. Let's take it out. They did it with community as well. Ken Jong appears as a dark elf, not even a human. He's not in blackface. He's literally painted black and like, eh, it's controversial. Let's cut it. So instead, you're not only are you not putting in the full show, they're just cutting out bits like they're preparing for a complaint that hasn't even happened yet. It's very unusual. Yep. I yeah, Scrubs, there was a, a bit or two where um the main character was in blackface and they pulled the episode. I managed to grab a copy, someone like right when they pulled it, I went on eBay and yeah. I and I bought a copy before um, you know, it was gone forever. It's like if you don't own stuff, you the, these companies can change it depending on whatever social whim they want or what they mm. decide or whether they view it has merit of, you know, paying a cost or a fee. It's it's really not fair to film fans and cinephiles who just want the opportunity to watch stuff. You know, you're no one is going to become more racist or less racist based on watching an episode of The Office. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's, That's a really good point. No one is sitting there watching Dwight and being like, you know what? Blackface is friggin' awesome. Yeah, good point, Dwight. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, like, and 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 no racist is like gonna sit there and be like, yeah, the Black Pete, go. It's like. <laughs> it it's that's not what it works you're scared of something that doesn't exist a hundred percent um you know one of my favorite films of all time is coffee you know the jack hill film with pam Greer from the 70s okay, yeah like great film really wonderful black exploitation film they're not making coffee today um they're not good like you know, and like unless you're going to like a specialized theater like that's not getting shown anymore and the theater's gonna be like the um what I'm saying, the studios would be terrified of that movie today but it's like why because you have an African-American woman who's empowered enough to, like, take down a drug ring? Like, what's – yeah. And look sexy and kick ass. It's like, what is wrong with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, like, if you put a, a filter over some of Quentin Tarantino's work, especially um, especially Pulp Fiction – this is one I've talked about a lot lately. We just did a Tarantino episode a few weeks ago. I was like, 
he came under so much fire for the use of the N-word in Django Unchained. And of course, I don't endorse the use of the N-word. But at the same time, he's telling a story about the, you know, the 1800s post-Civil War where racial tensions were high. That word is going to be used. No one's talking about Pulp Fiction where Jimmy is not even pasted. Like, they're not saying, hey, he's a racist, but he just throws that word around all the time. But because it's like a classic and was revered by the Academy, no one's talking about that. Like, that's way more egregious to me than what happens in Django. So I thought that was very strange as well. Yeah, it's like, look, if you're going to be true to characters Mm -hmm. and you're going to be true to time periods and true to history, you can't sanitize it. It's like, that happened. You know, that's how people spoke. And like, look, there are white people who use the n-word and like some use it casually some use it with hate you know if you're in new york there's a lot of white white new yorkers who will just use the n-word in the same way a black person would like Mm -hmm. that n-word joe you know like yeah that's like they're not even that's just it kind of is in the culture when you're Mm -hmm. in certain areas of the city that's just how it is it's yeah is what it is, but um, they did try to make a modern black exploitation not too long ago. Uh, did you see Proud Mary? No, I haven't. No, I haven't, there's another one I haven't heard of. I will let you know this. I didn't. I didn't prepare you to say that. I watch a lot of movies, but there's a lot of stuff I haven't seen. So we might go through your list, and I'll be like, I haven't seen that, but tell me about it anyway. Um, you definitely yeah. have seen all of mine. We'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I'd be shocked if you hadn't. Mine is a, is very like it's like picking favorites, but oh, uh, cool. Like, like every, I feel like, you know, I feel like mine isn't special, but, um, they're just films that really impacted me a lot, but yeah. like, so proud Mary came out, I think 2018, they tried to make like a modern black exploitation, And I, I felt the movie was a mess. It didn't hit at all, but you yeah. know, I did go and see it in theaters. I wanted it to be good. I love black exploitation. I think it's an awesome genre. Um, yeah. I know they remade Superfly not too long ago. I didn't get to see it, but the original's awesome. Uh, my favorite black exploitation movie is Boss N Word. Have you ever seen that? No, but it's going on the list. It is awesome. Yeah. Um, it, it first of all, the title is awesome alone. You know, yeah. because you can't even say it when when <laughs> I, when I got the DVD from Netflix. It just says Boss on it. It doesn't say the <laughs> title, but if you look at the poster, it says it. Yeah. But um, I'll tell you a personal story with that. So. The movie has this awesome, awesome, like all the black exploitation movies, they have awesome music. Yes, yeah. So this movie has like it's one of the best theme songs I've ever heard in a movie. It's uh, it's like it gets me so jacked up every time. But when I first started going on dates with my wife, I would listen to the song um in the car to kind of get ready for the dates and give myself the confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, I play it on loop. It's like, he's so bad. They yeah. call him <laughs> you know, uh, it's so good. Like, yeah, check, definitely check that out. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good on the list as well. Um, you mentioned dates with your wife I, and this could tie us back into what we talked about before. Big movie date guy. That was your, your go-to in high school and, and beyond. Were you like, Hey, it's dinner and a movie or were movies off the table because you just, like you were like, no, no, I've got to focus on, on my partner at this point. Now, this may shock you when you look mm. at the Adonis before you, but I did not have many dates in high school. Oh, me either. Me either. <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I always, I like to do, you know, dinner and a movie if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my wife, if we go out, you know, I'm dying to see Killers of the Flower Moon yesterday yes. with my birthday. And we just had a newborn. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. 
it's really tough to find time to get to the movies. Yeah. Um, like I used to go legitimately going to the movies is my favorite thing in the world to do. Yeah, like mine too. It's my favorite thing to watch a movie because like, um, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy when I'm outside of like, you know, my life. It's like, I have work stuff. I have film stuff. I have the podcast. I have a baby. I have a wife. I have a house. Like I'm always running around doing something. Like, I never get a second to relax. The thing I like about the movies is like I have to put my phone on mute. Yeah. It's just me in this movie for however long the movie plays. Popcorn, a soda. It's like I am yes. in the movie. Nothing is bothering me. When I'm in my house, even like I try to put my phone across the room. Can't do it. And it's like I'm watching the movie and then it starts buzzing and it's going yeah. off. And it's like, is that something important? I got to check yeah. it. It's like. I never enjoy my movie as much when I'm watching it in my house. Like, you know, and I'm laying on the couch. I'm starting to feel tired. I'm drifting off. So it's like, it's hard to find the time to see the movies that I want to see. You know, like I really want to see the creator, but it's like, I have to be so careful with my time right now. I just Mm. wasn't able to go see it. Um, The new Scorsese, I'm dying to see it. We wanted to go for my birthday, with the newborn and dinner with the families. We weren't able to make it work. So hopefully we can get there this week. You know, I really want to see it. Is, uh, is this your first child? Yeah, my first child, yeah. Congratulations. I uh, I have a, a three-year-old. She just turned three a couple of months back, and she was born nice. in the pandemic. Um, and that was, like, of course, my first thought was, like, all right, now how do I make movies work? Um, and I don't think I saw a movie. Like, thankfully, we were in the pandemic, and here in Victoria, in Australia – we have the world record for the most lockdown. So we weren't going to the movies anyway. We couldn't go anywhere. Uh, Award winners. Um, But once she got a little bit older, I was just like, my first thing. So this year has been the first time I've gone to the movies regularly since before COVID. Um, Did you bring her to the movies yet? Sorry? Did you bring your daughter to the movies yet? I have. She's been to two. So I took her to um, uh, DC Super Pets last year. That was her first movie. And she sat through about 60% of the movie which she wasn't even two at that point. So that was pretty impressive. She did pretty well. Yeah. Um, and then earlier this year for the Disney 100 anniversary, they did a bunch of Disney screenings and she's obsessed with Frozen. So I was like, hey, I'll take you to Frozen. You and I will go to see Frozen together. Had the theater to ourselves. Uh, we got some candy, some snacks. Um, and she sat through about 80% of that. Once the songs ended, she kind of lost interest. But um, yeah. she's becoming a big movie fan as well. Like she loves Spider-Man. Um, everyone thinks I pushed it on her. Just She just happened to see a Spider-Man action figure in our house and she was like, What's that? I love it. Um, so I've shown her into the Spider-Verse. Um, Across the Spider-Verse is too scary for her at the moment. She, she tried watching it, and the first scene was a bit too much. Um, but she'll come into my office and just pull the Blu-rays off, and she'll have a look at them. And if there's a horror movie, she'll be like, oh, that's a scary one, and put it back. But now she's getting into movies already, which is very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's like what I'm, I'm so excited about, having a kid, is like getting to show her, you know, yeah. move and take her to the movies and show her things I like. Like, I'm, I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I was hoping I'd be able to. I was like, oh, like I don't want to push it on her, but I don't want her to hate it either. So I'm just gonna like, whenever she shows an interest, like I just I get very hands off. I'm like, look, if she's interested, I'm just gonna let her, let her check it out. Like she just recently started showing interest in video games. Um, she saw me playing the the first Spider-Man game on PS4, and she's like, oh, Spider-Man. I was like, do you want to play? And she's like, yes. Yeah. So I just gave her the control and just let her run around. She doesn't know what she's doing. But yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm just going to let her do it because that way if she's showing an interest, I don't want to – like I've seen online a lot of parents be like, oh, I gave her the second control. It's not plugged in. I'm like, 
okay, but like, are you dissuading them from doing something cool later on? Like, I feel like this is the way to welcome them into it. So, yeah, she's getting into that. She's getting a superhero. She's getting into movies. So it's very cool. So um, I can tell you there is there is light at the end of the tunnel if you want to get that going on. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I for my show, we did Blonde. And um, and I had watched – and because of it, when I was doing my research for the show, I watched a bunch of Marilyn Monroe movies I hadn't mm-hmm. seen. And I was watching um, Some Like It Hot. Great movie. And – and I have my daughter with me, you know, I'm just holding her as I'm watching it. And she's like staring at the black and white screen. It was, it was cool. You know, she's yeah. watching Marilyn Monroe sing and you know, she's a baby. I'm sure she's like, what is this? But mm. it was, it was still a cool thing, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, it's really cool. Like that's my favorite thing. And that actually is a great segue. Cause another question I like to ask my guests from there on is, um, I love the idea of the gift of film, you know, film is so personal. Like, I think some people don't get it. Like if I buy someone, a, if I used to buy someone a DVD or whatever, like, oh, cool, you bought me a DVD. But it's like, no, 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 I'm your friend. I know you. You haven't seen this. I think you'll love this. You should check it out. And the first instance of it for me was my dad showing me the Blues Brothers way earlier than I should have seen it. I think I was about five. And like it took me a while, but now I'm like, what a great gift. Like he was like, look, you're five years old. You won't be able to appreciate all this yet, but I love this film. I love everything about it. And if you give it a go, I think you will too. So do you have any kind of – instances in your own life where you found someone who's like who has given you that gift and they've shared something with you that's now become a personal favorite of yours as well oh man that is a good good question i wish you prepared me so i wish i could could have thought about this more did anyone show me a movie that really really like changed me man that's hard that that's like that's a real (laughs) um i've definitely been shown movies i've loved um Anthony on my show has definitely shown me a lot of movies I hadn't seen that I loved. Um, like he's showed me UHF for the first time. I love that. Yep. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, uh, Anthony has shown me Lawrence of Arabia, Ben Hur. Yep. Like a lot of those epics that I hadn't seen previously. So I gotta, I gotta, you know, say something like that. Seeing those like David Lean masterpieces because I yeah. don't know if I have down to watch Lawrence of Arabia without that, you know? Yeah, Ben-Hur is a big one. I remember we watched that, no pun intended. We, uh, I bought that a few years back. I mean, it took us about three days to get through it because it is a long flick, but it's just like how to... so, the ambition of filmmakers, you know, pre-70s, like it just blows your mind some of the stuff they managed to do with, you know, what was available at the time. Um, that's a very cool answer. I did spring that question on you, so don't worry. Like, it's all good. Yeah. Um, and that's about as deep as it gets. Normally it's pretty lighthearted here, but I love the idea of the gift of film. I always just think it's such a personal thing to share with people. So um, I was just interested if you had that. Um, I, sorry, no, I think, I think it's a cool thing. And, you know, as you get older, that does kind of get away from you where it's like when you're younger and you're hanging out with your friends, you'll just pop in a movie and be like, let's watch this thing together. I heard it's really fucked up or I've heard it's cool yep. or whatever. I can curse, right? Oh, of course, absolutely. Yeah. Go away. Okay. Yeah, I don't because my parents listen to the show, and I'm like, you know what? Like, I'll I'll keep the, the ears sanitized a bit longer, but my guests can say whatever they want. My wife did the episode that dropped today, and like within two minutes, she was every word under the sun. So don't worry. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you'll be like, this is fucked up, or this is whatever, and it's like, it's like that get, kind of gets away as you get older. You know, it's like mm. you'll text someone and be like, yo, I just watched this. I think you would love it, mm. and you know they most of the time they just ignore you like there's a movie that you know 
I reckon I've been recommending to people and no one I know has listened to my recommendation or watched it. What um, is it? Tell me. Uh, yeah. So if you are a filmmaker or someone involved in film production or you j- just love like low budget movie making, I cannot recommend the movie One Cut of the Dead en- enough. Done. I'm writing it down. One Cut have, of the Dead. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it. I'm going to find out a way to watch oh, it and my, I will oh, I will message you when I've seen it. Dude, okay. So this is what I want to say. You will watch this for 45 minutes and you will think I am the biggest idiot in the world for telling you to watch this. And you will think it's a piece of junk. Hold on. And then something happens that changes everything you've just seen mm-hmm. and you will say this is brilliant. Yeah. I promise you because like I was watching it. And I was like, it, like it had all this hype, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, "What the hell is this thing?" <laughs> like people are saying, "This is good. This is fucking terrible. Oh my god, this is so stupid." And then what happens happens, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "I've never seen this before." Yeah, and it keeps going, mm. and it's like this is genius. It is like one of those movies where it's like. You wish you thought of it yourself. Yeah. I cannot I, recommend it enough. No, I love that. Um, and I love – I watch all sorts of stuff. Like, And I'm in the same boat. Like, As you get older, like, unless you have like a tight-knit bunch of friends who are into film, you can recommend stuff all day. Like, I've been telling my dad to watch Baby Driver for the last six years. I'm pretty sure he still hasn't watched it. I'm like, you'll love it. Like, you understand, like, it's a cool movie. Like, you, you showed me the Blues Brothers. Baby Driver is so similar to that movie. Like, it's got a great soundtrack. It's very much a driving film. Like, it's about these outlaws. Like, you'll dig it. Has not gone back and watched it. I'm like, so... But then, like, one thing I found since doing the podcast and trying to get out there more on, on Instagram is I will find people who have who are like-minded and I can recommend things. Like, my favorite horror recommendation for people is Eden Lake. I don't know if you've seen this one. But no, I, I haven't heard of this. I speak to a lot of horror movie fans, and they're always like, "What would you recommend?" I'm like, "Well, you've seen, you would have seen everything, but I bet you you haven't seen Eden Lake. It was made in like 2008. It was one of Michael Fassbender's first movie roles before he became Michael Fassbender, um, and it's just about this young British couple who would go away to the countryside for like a, a holiday. They run into these like young British toughs, and like they just start playing this cat and mouse torture game with them over the next couple of days. It is dark. It's brutal and like it has one of the most messed up endings, maybe on par with the ending of The Mist, if you've ever seen The Mist. Like it's a great little oh, flick. Okay. Eden Lake, huh? Yeah. I just added it to uh, you know, movies I want to check out. Yeah. So um so I love recommends it, but yeah, so if you if someone recommends something to me, I'll definitely give it a go. Like so one cut of the dead, I'll have to find out how I can watch it, but I'll check it out and then I'll I'll shoot you a message once I've seen it and I'll let you know. Yeah, oh uh, when you when you get to that, tell me. Yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. Recently, the thing that I, I got into about a couple months ago is I got into samurai movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I was on a samurai kick. Did you ever watch the Lone Wolf and Cub movies? No, it's um, it's in my my basket. Um, so I used to import from a UK supplier who no longer ships to Australia, and Lone Wolf and Cub, the um, Criterion Collection was there. So I'm working on it. I do want to check them out because um, I love the idea of it. Big big thumbs up, and mm. you know, I could tell you're into the nerdy geek stuff too. Hundred like, percent. You've referenced Marvel before and stuff, so it's like I know that you, um, you definitely 
we'll be like, oh, the Mandalorian just ripped this off completely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 100%. There's an episode of Bob's Burgers where they do it as well. It's called like Dog and Chick or something, and it's meant to be like Lone Wolf and Cubs. So, the, yeah, it's very much a, um, like it's become a real trope and you see a lot of it in a lot of modern media. But yeah, I can't wait to go and check it out. But I'm the kind of guy, well, I'll watch stuff. And then, like, I want to see where that was inspired. I, I watched Lady Snowblood because it inspired Kill Bill. I was like, I've got to check out Lady Snowblood. Um, so I'll do that sort of deep dive and find out what what inspired what and try and you know try and check all that out. Like Tarantino, obviously, is a go-to because he just steals from everywhere, which is wonderful. Like people are like, oh, he's a hack. He steals. Like, no, no, no. Would you have watched any of those Shaw Brothers films without Quentin Tarantino? Would you have watched any of those samurai films? Would you have gone back and watched those black exploitation films? And the answer is probably no. Um, like until Grindhouse was made, I didn't even know what a Grindhouse was. So I started looking it up and then I started watching things like Ilsa, She Wolf of the DSS. Not a film I'm recommending to people to watch, by the way. It's pretty brutal. But like if you want to do the history of it, like you just got to look at what the, the filmmaker was inspired by and d- dive into it. So um, I don't know if that's what we're talking about, but I just went on a tangent, which is what I do on this show. So, <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, he's a guy who's going to show you things and he's mm-hmm. going to introduce you to stuff. And it's like, that's what is so awesome about Tarantino. You know, there is no one like him where it's like, you can find out his direct influences and where they came from. And like, I have cinema speculation. I haven't had the time to read it, but it's something where I am so excited to dive into that. And mm-hmm. like, I know someone on Letterboxd put together a list of every movie he references in the book. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's like you can go and like watch, you know, all the movies he references and talks about in there. Mm. I am. Um, one thing I love as well. This is about your show. As I said, I listened to the the episodes on the burning before. I love the burning. I think it's a really underrated slasher film. Is you guys spent a nice little bit of time just talking about the history of slasher films, and it was really nice to hear you talk about Peeping Tom and, and Psycho and like how they were kind of the proto slashers. Because I know a lot of people just jump straight to Halloween, which of course you know is such an influential film, but. You know, you did reference Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then going back exactly. to the 60s, which um, that's why I love your show so much. I'm like, oh, my God, these guys are big nerds. Like, they're not, they're not happy just talking about the film they're talking about. They want to dive into it, go back, what inspired it, how do we get to this place, which is what I love doing as well. So that's why I was such a fan of the show. Yeah, you know, I think it's like, look, we all come at it, the three of us, from different angles. Like, I'm the film guy. You know, I'm yeah. a filmmaker, I'm a film fan, like – you know, I'm the one who watches weird, weird shit. Like I reference uh, Salo all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like seen it. Yep. Yeah, it's like I reference that movie all the time. It honestly, it might be in my top ten. Like, which I know is that a is fucking, a bold claim. <laughs> yeah, I just find it to be such a powerful movie. You know. Yeah. It, it, I don't know if favorites, but maybe top 10, like most powerful. Um, yeah. Because it's such a fucking brutal film. It's like an endurance film. And that flick, what's the worst thing about that movie is not the acts on screen, but the reactions of the dictators, like the way they all like seem to be enjoying it so much. Um, yeah, that's a, that one t- took a little while to get through. But uh, in my 20s, I was like, okay, Salo, Cannibal Holocaust. I've got to check out all these like really messed up films. So I've seen Salo once or twice as well. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, I've watched it maybe four or five times in like the past <laughs> 15, 16 years. But it's like, I think when I'm the film guy, you know, Anthony is the history guy. That's his specialty. Like, he's like an encyclopedia. He just knows shit. Um, Steve is kind of the well-rounded guy. So it's like, when we're talking about this stuff. If I can, I try. I try. I don't always do it. But I try to talk about some of the director trademarks. Like, we just mm. recorded today 
we did The Messenger, uh, the story of Joan of Arc by Luke Besson. Yeah, with Emilio Jovovich. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've seen that one. I remember the VHS cover very vividly, um, but I don't have seen that one, but I'm familiar with it, yeah. It, it, it's okay. You know, it's not yeah. like it's not like going to light the world on fire, but like I did get to talk a bit about like um, – kind of like Luke Besson as a director and like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously reference fifth element, but I got to talk a bit about like, kind of, I, I have a, I have a hard time articulating it, but there's a certain French sensibility with humor in films. That's easy mm-hmm. to pick out where it's like, you see it and it's like a French director directing an American movie. You just sense that thing. Mm-hmm. I can't describe it. And I, I did. I know what you're talking about. Thing. It's very hard to, to articulate. You're right. But yes. When you see it as a film fan, you're like, oh, that's that French thing. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. je ne sais quoi, you know? Oh, very good. Um, yeah. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> uh, excellent, man. We've been talking a lot, and we haven't really talked about any of your movies yet, so let's jump into it. Um, I've been digging okay. it, though, man. I'm so glad we get to learn a bit more about who you are and how it all came to be. And there are so many more questions I could ask you, but we have been going for about an hour. Um, all right. Already. So let's get into it. So you got your top five. Um, just go five to one. We'll, you know, just tell me a movie. We'll talk about it a little bit. If I've seen it, I'll obviously jump in. You've noticed I'm jumping in a lot. If I haven't, I'll let you definitely take the reins. We'll just go from there. But really keen to hear your top five. So, Brian, what's up first? Okay. So I have my top four on Letterboxd. And, mm-hmm. all, and all the movies I picked on there were movies that I felt greatly impacted me personally in my life. Um, And they kind of almost represent different stages of my life or they speak to different themes in my life. Number five, I really kind of struggled with as to what I would put here. Um, And I went with a movie that is near and dear to my heart. And I think it is the best of this genre ever. Um, I almost picked a Bond movie, but I I was like, okay, you know, I don't think Bond can go over this. So I picked Spider-Man 2. Yes. I, oh, what a fantastic film. Absolutely. I just rewatched the um, Tobey Maguire trilogy um, a couple of weeks ago, so I'm right there with you. I love Spider-Man 2. What a perfect, maybe, arguably, maybe the best superhero film ever made. <laughs> like, really well done. I, I think it is the best superhero movie ever made. Um, yep. Spider-Man, Peter Parker, is my favorite fictional character. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm not a religious person. If I was, it would be like Peter Parkerology or, you know, Spider-Manology, <laughs> where it's like, I think that is everything you should strive to be in yeah. a person, is Spider-Man and Peter Parker. It's like sacrificing yourself and your needs and what you want for the betterment of others. That is a hero. Yeah. And like when you watch other superhero movies, especially the MCU movies, as much as I love them, and even, you know, the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies until No Way Home, they never did that. They never got to what the heart of Spider-Man is and what the core of Peter Parker is. And Yeah, his Peter sacrifices Parker, were like, oh, do I go on a date or do I stop the vulture? Which, you know, is perfectly good high school stuff. But, yeah, it's not Peter Parker. It's not Peter Parker. He's He's supposed to be driven by this tragic event that happened to him. That mm. is his impetus, that... I will make sure something like this can never happen again. And I will sacrifice my own happiness, everything I want in the world to make sure that this happens. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man two has 
everything you could possibly want from a superhero movie. Yep. It has the best action scene in any superhero movie ever still. That train fight is amazing. Incredible. It still holds up. It's still fantastic. Um, the the action of him stopping the train is an incredible sequence. Um, there's a there's a YouTube channel called Movie Wise. I recently started watching it. I highly recommend it if you're a film fan. He just did a whole video about like um, heroes and stuff like that. Or maybe it was an old video I ended up watching. But he did like 10 minutes talking about the train scene and the way Peter Parker stops the train scene is like the true heroics of someone. Mm -hmm. It's like he tries to stop the train with his feet. It doesn't work. Okay, what can I do now? The, The people on the train are giving him shit. He doesn't even care that his mask is burnt at this moment. Yeah. He's like, I just got to save everybody. He tries to use his webs. It doesn't work. He tries again. It barely works. And he takes everything from him to mm. save all these people. And it's yeah. like, he, he's a hero. He's willing to give it all up to help others, you know? And like, I'm not a perfect person, certainly, but I definitely try to live a life that will allow me to help as many people as possible. So, I I definitely have to say Spider-Man 2, like uh, Raimi directing it, using some of his horror tricks. Yes. The Elfman score. The Tobey Maguire performance is perfection. Like, yep. like that, that is a Spider-Man movie that I really feel can never be topped. Like, it, it is flawless. Yeah, for me, I think, like, I, I would say that and Into the Spider-Verse are neck and neck. Because I, I love Into Spider-Verse as well. But for live-action performance, you can't go past Spider-Man 2. I think it's perfectly cast, you know. Alfred Molina as Doc, as Doc Ock is so wonderful. And you mentioned, you know, Sam Raimi using his horror, um, bring his horror background, just the idea of shooting the tentacles like Evil Dead, you know, and using oh. practical effects. Like there is some CGI that does age a little, doesn't age great, but they, the remaster actually helped it a lot. Um, like when Doc Ock's swinging from the train, it can look a little bit cartoony, but they fixed it quite a bit, which is good. Also, um, I love... And a bit that makes me cry every time, I'm a big movie crier, uh, the bit that makes me cry every single time is when Doc Ock drops Rosemary Harris, drops Aunt May, and he has to swing down and save her. And she goes, you're not the person I thought you were. And, like, she doesn't know that it's Peter. And, like, she's hated Spider-Man, but now she's on his side. Like, it's just such a beautiful, pure moment in, like, this chaotic scene. Um, it's It's so well done. It's like I could gush about it forever and like the personal drama stuff and the relationship with Mary Jane, they never got it better than this movie, you know, mm. um, and sp- it sets up Spider-Man 3 with such promise. And I'm a defender of Spider-Man 3. Me I too. Like Spider-Man 3. It is not as bad as everyone says. Um, there's a time no. where I wouldn't say it was my favorite in the trilogy, but, um, you know, I recognize now that Spider-Man 2 is the best one. It's not as bad. It, you know, it's definitely messy. But it still is a lot of fun. That like the dance sequence, which people hate. I I've always loved. I've always defended. Like, they just don't get. They just books, don't get it. Like the whole comic idea. Comic books are fun and light. But also, like Peter Parker has misplaced confidence. The symbiote. The symbiote is making him confident, and he thinks he looks cool. Peter Parker, Parker for the first time, like, thinks he looks cool, yeah. and he doesn't. And that's the point. But like people were like, he's not cool. Um, Spider Man Three was my first date movie with my wife. We actually went and saw Spider Man Three. So. I always oh, no. defended it because of that, but I think it's a really underrated flick. There's so much to love about Spider-Man 3. Did you see the director's edit? Oh, I don't know. Not the director's know. edit. I'm sorry, the the editor's cut. They had an editor come in and recut it. Oh, no, I don't think I've seen that. 
Yeah, I haven't seen it either. It was put out on Blu-ray and it kind of like they didn't promote it at all, but they used um the original score before they ended up reusing some of um I forget who did it. Okay. But you know. Yeah, they use like some old music cues that were kind of cut out and like it's reworked a bit and like some things work better from what I've heard. Some things don't, but I, it's something I want to check out. I'm a mm. defender of that movie. Yeah, um, I it's still great. Hope, I, I still hope that I will get to see Sam Raimi make a Spider-Man 4 on a low budget even, you know? Well, they've been saying apparently he's been tapped or been in conversations to do Secret Wars now, which I think is great. Because um, I also don't think Multiverse of Madness was as bad a film as everyone made it out to be. Like, probably could have done with a bit more madness. It was, you know, it was pretty easy to follow. But I really enjoyed the stuff that Raimi brought to that franchise. So, I think that movie suffered a lot on the fate of expectations. Yes. Everybody went into that expecting, I'm going to see Deadpool. I'm going to see this. I'm going to see this. It's going to be yeah. crazy, all this stuff. Rather than just taking the movie at face value. Yeah. Um, it's a messy movie. It's not perfect. I like it. I'm also a Raimi fanboy, mm. so you know I like seeing little nods and like the way he shoots things. I'm like, oh, that's like from that, and that's like from that. Well, oh, even that, the that fight, guy. even the fight at the start is the same building that Doc Ock climbs and drops um, Art May off. Like he's he did the same fight. Like he did another like eight legged thing, you know, carrying a woman away up the same building. Like just a great little nod. Exactly. There's little things like that. Like he does like the eye shot. You know, like. Like little things that I really picked up on and liked. It's like, oh, there's the car from Evil Dead, you know? It's like, yeah. but aside from that, like the movie really is is pretty fine. Um, it has one major problem with with which a lot of the modern MCU movies suffer from, where they've had a real problem uh, since uh, Ike Perlmutter left the company of just letting their heroic heroes be heroes. Yeah. Um, there always has to be someone else who takes the spotlight and saves the day. Mm. You know, it's not, it's, it's like, it's a very simple formula as far as superhero movies. It's like, we want to watch Iron Man come in. We want to watch him face an obstacle. We want to watch him overcome it. And we want to watch him save the day. Yeah. It's like Spider-Man too. That's what it is. We established mm -hmm. Spider-Man. Doc Ock is his obstacle. He has inner turmoil. He overcomes it. He defeats him and saves the day. Cool. It's like, with Multiverse of Madness, you didn't let Doctor Strange get that victory. You know, yeah. it's, you 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 robbed him of the heroic win, which we want. It's yeah. You kind of point. Scarlet, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. You kind of just had Scarlet Witch go. Oh yeah, I'm pretty fucked up, aren't I? I'll stop. <laughs> and it's like, and and when you do that, it's. It, it kind of has really hurt the momentum of the MCU. And when you go through phase four and five, they just keep doing it, whether it's Moon Knight on TV or the movies. It's like the superhero formula is the simplest thing in the world. It's classic. You know, it goes back to Greek mythology. It's classic mm. heroism. It's character A has to overcome an obstacle and rise to finish him. Yeah. And save an obstacle. It's like Top Gun Maverick was phenomenal with that. Yeah, it, I loved Maverick. I saw it four times in theaters and I went in with pretty low expectations and it blew me away. But the reason I loved it so much was like it was so refreshing to just see my hero got to be a hero. Yeah, it's like I got to watch him kick ass and save the day. It's like that's 
That's all. That's why I want to watch these movies. If I want to watch like my hero falter and die, I'll watch a tragedy. Yeah, for you sure. Know? It's like we we want to watch our heroes rise, and Marvel hasn't been doing that. Yeah, it seems like the direction of the MCU has been very much a like Phase Four was a lot about passing the torch, which I understand. Like you know, you can't have the same actors doing everything forever, but it does seem like the execution. You know, probably wasn't the best. Now, I'm a big Marvel apologist, so even the worst ones, you know, the people have not liked, I've enjoyed. Like, I've found ways to defend it. I'm like, look, you know, I'd rather Thor for than no Thor. Um, so I'll take it, you know. <laughs> like, you know, and I'll try and find positives in there as well. But I definitely see what you mean. Thor 4 was my breaking point. Honestly, like, that was the the movie, like, and I've, I, I even, like, I didn't hate Quantumania, really. But like Thor four, I honestly felt like they were insulting my intelligence. <laughs> like it's like yeah. I felt like it was like we're just gonna put out anything and you're gonna buy a ticket and watch it. Like it mm. felt like there was no thought put in or things that make sense and like just universe breaking stuff. It's like mm. so why doesn't Thor just always give everyone Thor powers now? It's like so wait he could he could wish for anything. Why wouldn't he just wish for like? you know, his family back. <laughs> like yeah. every, It's like, it's, there's just so many like things like that, that I, I really didn't like. Mm. Yeah. No, I hear and you. Again, definitely. And again, they don't let Thor be the hero, which is what I want. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, all right. Spider, Spider-Man 2. I, I a hundred percent agree. I think it's great. Um, it's, it's so good. Like it's 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 a perfect film. There's no, I've got no problems with that movie at all. And have you seen the extended cut where like they've got J. Jonah Jameson putting on the Spidey suit? Yeah, <laughs> like oh, yeah. What, a, what a weird little thing to put in there, but so fun. Um, it's so Raimi to just have like a fun little goofy moment, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Excellent, man. All right, what's number four on your list? That's a cracker yep. of a start. I don't know how we get better than that, but I'm here for it. All right, number four. I am going to go with. Oh, man, this is tough. Uh, all right, I'm going to go with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly here. Yes, Interest- okay, interesting. Uh, I, have seen, I have seen it, so yeah, we're on, we're on track so far. Okay. Um, the Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is a movie that I think is utterly perfect. Um, yep. It's the movie that got me to respect Westerns, mm-hmm. to watch Westerns, to really understand them. I think it's like a perfect epic movie. We see characters evolve and change and go through struggle and strife and like there's honor and and the Civil War scenes and mm. all that stuff. The backdrop it is, it's a perfect perfect movie. Like I love it. The, the Murray Cohn score, everything about it Wonderful. is a perfect movie. Uh, excellent. I won't be able to talk about this one as much because I have seen it, but it was a while ago. It's only been once. I um. I think I still prefer for a few dollars more, and I know I'm in the minority here. I love, I love that. I, I feel like it's a lot darker the story and that kind of final showdown where like it's just it's Lee Van Cleek versus um uh, oh my goodness uh, Clint Eastwood. Can't remember his name for a second. Um, I really love that. But for, yeah, if you're looking for an epic, a grand scale, and like that score is is perfect. Um, Good, the bad, the other is a wonderful movie. Um, yeah. What, so what is it about the film that you love so much? Like it's a number four for you, so. So I, I just, I, I mean, it's everything. It's like, it's what it like represents as far as character arcs and change mm-hmm. and cinematography and direction. It might be the best directed movie ever. You can make a case for that. Like, yeah, yeah. The performances are so great. And like, 
the story is like I hate using the word epic, but like it it really is like an epic and yeah. Like it's it's two and a half hours long, but I never feels that way. It's never it never drags. It kicks ass from start to finish. Um, I I just think it's a perfect movie. You know, it's it's something that I just love to watch and revisit all the time. Yeah, no, excellent, man. I'm sorry, I was I just don't have much to say on it because it's been so long. So I was just like, I'll prompt you a bit more of a conversation. I didn't want to just jump to number three. Um, but it is it's a gorgeous looking film. It still looks great to this day, like visually. And the way that he composes a scene, like there's that shot of, you know, Clint Eastwood just standing in the doorway, the idea of like him being kind of trapped in the role that he's always been in, like he has to keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's a it's a really wonderful little flick. Not little, big flick, I should say. Yeah, and like the whole, the torture sequences and the ass kicking and like mm. the fact that these, like, well, I mean, like, like Clint Eastwood's the star of the movie, but the real star is Eli Wallach, the ugly. Yeah, yep. He steals the movie and like he's just so good in it. And like when those two characters that like have hate each other and tortured each other are forced to are forced to work together at times, mm. it's fantastic. And obviously the ecstasy of gold into the shootout at the end. Yes, yes. Getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Oh, my God, it is perfect direction. And like, yep. you know, I've had an idea for like a Western in in my head for years that I would love to make. And it's so heavily influenced by the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, it's like all the characters are after this one thing. And mm. like, you know, it's very good, the bad, and the ugly. But I love, love, love that movie. It's got such a great introduction as well. Like taking its time to do a little, almost like a little mini feature on each of your three main characters before it launched into the story proper, like showing those different introductions. Um, it's just a, like, you don't see that so much in movies anymore. It's like, we've got to get going. We've got two hours. Let's just, here's where your characters go. But like this, like he really took the time to just slow it down. Here's Clint Eastwood. Here's Eli Wallach. Here's, I think it's Lee Van Cleek, if I remember correctly again. Yes, like he, Yeah, here's them. Um, and just really like, you know, I think it's like the first almost half an hour of the film, just taking time to set up these characters before we really launch into the story proper. And it's just, yeah, it's something they don't do in modern cinema. And it's a real shame because it's just, it really adds to the pacing and the build towards that finale. It, it's really, yeah, it's masterfully done. And like the introduction of Lee Von Cleef, he's just so menacing and evil. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's a movie where it's like that, you know, that's a movie I have passed on to people. Yeah. Um, going back to that question, that's a movie that I passed on to Anthony and Steve. Yeah. Because I saw it and it blew me away. And it's a movie that I have always shared with people when I can. I'm like, watch this. Yeah. You know? So what, the gift of film, that is a gift that I have given to people. And I'm going to have a little bit more to say about the good, the bad, and the ugly with one of my next picks. No, nice one. Before we move on to number three, um, obviously you said this kind of like really launched your love of Westerns. Do you, are there any modern Westerns that really resonate with you? Or are you just kind of – I know a lot of people are like, modern Westerns, don't bother with them. But is there anything kind of in the last few years you've really kind of gravitated towards We think, oh, okay, no, it's still alive and it's still fresh and there's still interesting things to do here? Yes. Um, I, I don't know if you would consider it a modern Western, but, uh, like how, what do you consider modern? I like the last, the, I would say the last 20 years or so. Okay. 310 to Yuma is excellent. Okay. Have you seen that? I haven't, but it's been on the list for a while, so I'll get to it. Definitely recommend that. That's James Mangold. Um, I love, love, love 310 to Yuma. Yep. Uh, when that came out, I bought like a Blu-ray that came with a shirt. 
Nice. Actually, no, it wasn't Blu-ray at the time. It was DVD. They weren't yep. even Blu-rays, really. So I bought a Blu-ray that came with a 310 to Yuma shirt. I used to wear that all the time. Um, I love that movie. That's a great Western. Um, off the top of my head, Slow West. Okay. Uh, with excellent. I think Ty West made that. Oh, no. Ty West made In a Valley of Violence, which is a very good Western. Okay. Uh, Slow West, In a Valley of Violence. And there's an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, horror Western. Is it Bone Tomahawk? Bone Tomahawk. Yes. (laughs) So good. Yeah, that movie kicks ass. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, So those are just off off the top of my head some modern Westerns that I really like. Nice one. Excellent, man. Uh, yeah, Bone Tomahawk is a is a crazy flick. And that guy went on to do some really horrible movies like uh, Brawl and Cellbrock 99, if you've seen that one. Um, I like that movie. It's um, I watched that movie while my wife was pregnant, did not know about the <laughs> subplot, and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, I remember talking to her the next day, and I was still like, she's like, you're right. I'm like, yeah, I watched this movie last night, and there's a really like messed up subplot. And she's like, you want to talk about it? I was like, nope, not with you. Not with you. <laughs> maybe maybe when our, our child is in their teens, maybe we can talk about it. But gee, that, that was, I wasn't expecting that. That might be one of the most messed up ideas I've heard in a film ever. I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, and then he did um, Dragged Across Concrete, which was fine. You know, I, did, I didn't I, see that one. It's long. I, I yeah, it's long, but there's some good stuff in it. Um, but yeah, there's weird, like, there's, there's like weird, like little side stories that kind of, don't really go anywhere and then like the third act is, is is quite long and quite slow but it's it's like it's a good tension build it's definitely worth watching for sure um and it's nice to see mel gibson do something a little bit different um yeah definitely um all right man let's jump into number three what's next on the all list right. number three is going to be the movie that changed my life mm-hmm. um it it's uh, I'm trying to think of which of the two of these do I want to say right now. You know what? Uh, yeah, I'll go with the movie. I'll go with this one. Uh, let's go with Pulp Fiction. Fantastic. Fancy. Great okay, film. So, Pulp Fiction, uh, we mentioned Tarantino before and his love of movies. So I had seen Kill Bill. Uh, I went and saw it. I, I really didn't know anything about Tarantino. I just, you know, I thought it looked like a cool action movie. I was a martial artist and, you know, I went and saw it. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And I liked Kill Bill. And then I was told, if you like uh, Kill Bill, you should check out the other movies by Tarantino. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I really never gave thought to a director. I was still in high school. I was like, "Mm," you know, and then I watched um, Pulp Fiction. And I saw it one day and, you know, the first time you watch Pulp Fiction, it's kind of easy now because you guys like me and you have seen it a million times. We know everything about the movie, but that first viewing you get of the movie, you don't know what's going on. You mm-hmm. don't know the things. It's like a puzzle. You got to piece together and it really does require a second viewing. Mm-hmm. So I watched it and I saw the second viewing and I was like, I love this. Yeah, this is great. Uh, you know, this is awesome. So then I went, and I bought a special edition DVD of Pulp Fiction. And I would I wanted to know everything about this movie. And on the DVD, there was not a commentary track, because Tarantino doesn't do those. Mm. There was a trivia track. Okay. And this is this is what changed my life. The trivia track opens 
with a quote from Tarantino that says, if one person sees one of my movies, I hope they see 1,000 other movies, right? It was something, it's something like that, right? And as you're watching the movie, you're, he's like, I haven't done it since I've became a cinephile, but I really would love to go back and, and watch it with the trivia track. But it's like, this shot is here because I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z feeling. Mm. Um, and I t- got inspiration to use this shot from blah, 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 whatever. Right. And as he's going throughout the whole movie, the trivia track is just all the references and influences on every single thing in the movie. Yeah. And it blew me away. And there's a part in the movie about Sergio Leone and the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. Right. Uh, In the trivia track somehow. And I I really don't pay much mind to it. I'm like, okay. And I, I watch the movie and I love it. And that quote stays with me. I was like, yeah, I want to watch every movie. And that's when I began my quest to try to watch every movie ever made. You know, mm-hmm. my my uh, quixotic quest, which may <laughs> never be completed to um, see every movie. But at that time, you know, Tarantino was hot. Kill Bill was out. And there was a commercial I saw on TV for a new release of a Good, the Bad, and the Ugly DVD. Mm. And Father's Day was coming out, and I really hadn't seen Westerns. And in the commercial, there was a um, a quote from Tarantino that said, my favorite movie, Quentin Tarantino. Mm. And I'm like, good, the band, the ugly? Is that guy's favorite movie who made yeah. Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction? I have to see this. So I bought the disc for my dad. Right, He's never told me he likes good, the band, the ugly or, or Pulp Fiction well, I knew he liked Pulp Fiction, but I didn't know he liked the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I just knew he liked some westerns, so I got it, and I was like, "I, you know, have Happy Father's Day! I got this for you." And he watched it. And he's like, "Oh, thanks." It was really for me. <laughs> and I remember, and we watched it, and I was like, "This is incredible!" Mm. I was like, "Westerns are awesome!" And yeah. I went and watched Magnificent Seven, and like that was when I got hit with the cinephile bug, and I yeah. started watching everything i could which i've mostly maintained yeah he um he's just got so many great quotes like one of my favorite tarantino quotes and it's not like people have heard this one a million times but he was you no know, it was an interview very very early on and they're like you know well, where did you study and he goes i never went to film school i went to films and it's like yes 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 like you don't need some like anyone to teach you how to like tell a story you just watch and watch and watch and then you just regurgitate what works best and like he's done it he's built a career around it like it's such a wonderful quote but like and he's one of those guys i could just listen to for hours just talking about movies and he'll talk about movies i've never even heard of i'm like please keep talking let me sit at your feet sensei and tell me all you have to say about movies um kill bill was one sorry you listen to his podcast? No, I only found out recently he started doing one because he never like really did appearances on podcasts. I know that Kevin Smith was trying to get him on podcast for ages and just like could never line it up. Because um, I was like, well, he did a great job with Edgar Wright, so imagine what Quentin Tarantino is going to talk about. Um, but now that he does one, I've got to get on top of it because yeah, he's just it's just lovely hearing him talk. He's just got such a, such a emphatic love for film as we both do, and everyone who comes on our shows does as well. Um, yeah. It's um, Kill Bill was the one for me. I um, I, I talked about this a lot recently, but there were three films that changed my life. Um, the first one was uh, was was Kill Bill. I just remember seeing the trailer, and you know, battle for honor, ba- battles without honor or humanity playing in the background, and like you know, cute 
Caucasian girl plays samurai sword is the big quote and stuff. Like, what is this? What the hell am I watching and when can I see it? Because I've never seen anything like this before. That was the first one. The second one was Desperado by Robert Rodriguez, who's obviously a, a wonderful filmmaker. And the third one was Clerks. Uh, a friend of mine, that was my, that was one of the biggest gifts I got. A friend of mine in my film class gave me um, a copy of Clerks and I watched that and I was like, oh, okay, so this is, this is, this is my life now. This is what I want to do. Um, and I love that story because the girl who handed me that DVD, her name was Amy, um, which is a really great story if you know Kevin Smith films. Um, and it's, but if you don't, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Her name was Amy, but I love that story. Um, but then, yeah, I went back and saw Pulp Fiction as well. And it's just a lot more people try to imitate it now. And, you know, you're right, that nonlinear storytelling is becoming more popular. But even in 2004 or 2005, whenever I watched it, you weren't seeing a lot of stuff like that. It was still really fresh and it was 10 years old at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, that's exactly, you saw it around the same time as me. It's like, and there had been copycatters and imitators. Um, there's a bunch and, you know, I'm blanking on them right now. I think go might be one. Uh, yep, go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch in the nineties that were just aping this and, you know, none did it as good as Tarantino did in that movie. Mm. Um, it's flawless. It's one of the best movies ever made. One of the most influential movies ever made. And it created just legions of film fans and movie fans. So, you know, for me, it's huge. It's one of my favorites. Um, it made me a cinephile, you know, yeah. it completely changed how I view movies and what I like about them. And it's, it's so influential to me. I can't even express it. Like I would love to meet Tarantino one day. And just tell him, like, dude, you changed my life so much with that quote on the trivia track mm. from Pulp Fiction that, like, he probably has forgotten about completely, mm. you know? Because you never hear anyone, like, I'm the only person I ever hear talk about this trivia track. Yeah. But it's like, I, I would just love to tell him how much that quote influenced me and, like, what I've become because of it, you know? No, definitely. There's one other Tarantino quote that I remember, and it was on the special edition Pulp Fiction DVD when I bought it. Um, I'm sure it's probably on, on every release, but there's an interview he had. I can't remember who it was with, but the, um, he was like, most people will put a movie on and then walk around and, you know, do the dishes or you know, watch the clothes and not pay attention. He goes, you can't do that with my movies. You cannot do that with my movies. You need to sit down and for two hours, give me your full attention. I promise you, when you get to the end of it, your life will be different. But you need to give me your two hours of full solid attention. And I was like, that's, that's a pretty good quote as well. And especially harkening back to your comment earlier about how most films these days are not that. It's like they're manufactured in a way to just get uploaded while you have, you know, you look at TikTok or Twitter or whatever and you glance at the movie when it gets interesting. Like he was telling us back in the 90s, you know, what to prepare for and no one listened. Um, yep. Shot, reverse shot. That's it. Move yep. on. No. <laughs> that's modern movies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a great pick. And I, like, I just said before, I did a whole episode on Tarantino a couple of weeks ago and we dive into like every single film. Like we go through his film uh, filmography, like flick by flick, like 10, 15 minutes per movie, whatever. But, um, we, and we still couldn't cover it all. Like there's just so much to talk about the guy, like the way he reinvents himself every single time. One of the greatest artistic reinventions of modern history is the jump he takes between Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. Like he left for seven years and came back and you're like, how did he do this? This is a magic trick. Um, and then, you know, does Death Proof, which is completely different again. And then does Inglorious Bastards, which may be one of the best war films of all time. And it's not even real. Like it's so fictionalized. 
Um, the dude's yeah, he's a he's a master. Like, and it's infuriating because it's like, okay, well, if you made Pulp Fiction, like that's a pretty good win. But he does it again and again and again, and it's always shot interestingly, and his characters are interesting, and his dialogue is natural but also stylized. It's like, and the soundtracks are. It's like, all right, we get it. You're an overachiever, thank you. But he's he's a master. He's a modern master. And we're not even referencing Reservoir Dogs, which is a masterpiece too. Oh, that first ten minutes alone, like just the first ten minutes of that conversation, the talk about tipping and like the meaning of the Madonna song and stuff like that. You'd never heard anything like that in a movie before Reservoir Dogs. Totally. Like dialogue changed after that and had mm. a bunch of imitators, you know, referencing pop culture. Yeah. Well, even Kevin Smith said, like, he watched the Reservoir Dogs. He's like, well, I know how to write clerks now. Like, I'll just have to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> um, so it works. Uh, that's a great number three, man. Um, I'm digging your list. And I know you said that, like, they're popular movies, but it's still a great list. I think you're the first person to talk about Spider Man 2 and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly on the show. So setting some trends. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right, man. Number two. What's number two on your list? Number two is Clerks. Yes. Oh, I can talk about this movie for sure. Now, uh, you know, I uh, to be honest, I probably would switch Clerks and Pulp Fiction, but I felt like it kind of flowed better with our with our podcast. Yeah. So, you know, when when someone is taking notes of my actual favorites, just know I like Pulp Fiction better than Clerks. But I felt like for our conversation it kind of had a nicer flow well as you know as film fans the top five list is always inter- interchangeable like what your favorite film, five films are today might not be that tomorrow because we're crazy like that we're all constantly reassessing and judging and thinking so at the moment it made sense but it will change and that's fine <laughs> it's changed within the past 30 seconds as <laughs> but um clerks so clerks like you know for so many people is a movie that you watch and it's like what you can do. It's like, I yes. have friends. Mm-hmm. I could make a movie. It's, it is an inspiring movie. And you find out about the director and it changed his life and it changed everyone else's life around him. And mm-hmm. like, you want that for you and your friends who you're making movies with and doing goofy little shorts. And it's like, this is the movie that made me like, if Pulp Fiction made me a cinephile, Mm-hmm. clerks made me a filmmaker yeah. you know it's like after clerks i had the dream i'm gonna save up i'm gonna do it i'm gonna make my own movie it's gonna happen i'm doing shorts with my friends we're teaching ourselves we're learning to edit and you know what eventually i did and i made my own movie and i did it and i paid for it myself and it's a low budget and you know it didn't really go anywhere and it died and i don't even like it i think it's like one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made personally <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it's not that bad. (laughs) Proud it exists. I'm proud the movie exists, and I'm proud I was able to see it and make this thing. You know, so Mm -hmm. Clerks is a movie that's just inspiring to low budget filmmakers, and the movie itself is good and it's funny, has great dialogue. The soundtrack is good. It's iconic characters. It builds a cinematic universe. You know, Mm -hmm. I love it. I love Clerks. For me, Clerks, like, I think it's a timeless story. And I don't know if Kevin knew that when he was writing it back in in the early 90s. I, do, I think he was just like, what can I do for a low budget? Oh, I work in a convenience store. There's weird people to come in. Um, I'll shoot, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, talk about the weird conversations we have. But, like, the work, the workplace will never change. Not, not 
ever. Like there's always going to be some semblance. Someone's always going to have a terrible job and a terrible boss and deal with terrible customers and deal with the nonsense and the boredom of it. And I find that I watch Clerks every year. Like Clerks is, is if I were watch one film every year, it's Clerks. And there, there are a couple others. I get to sneak in as well. But every year since I've seen it back in 19, sorry, in 2005, I've watched Clerks. And it has always felt timeless to me. Like it meant the same to me in my teens as it does to me now in my thirties. Like I'm like, yeah, I do deal with idiots sometimes at work and now I'm the boss sometimes, but like I'm still reporting to other people and dealing with stuff. Like it, it just feels relevant always, um, which is a hard thing to do. Like most films, you know, very feel very much of their time. And yeah, like Dante wears docks and he, you know, he's got a very nineties boy band haircut and stuff like that. But aside from like, the actual crux of the story, still works you know 30, 30 years on it'll be 30 years next um february i think i saw recently he posted so yeah 30 years so, of sundance yeah i mean yeah, well that's true because he made it in 93 so technically it is 30 years this year um yeah. It, it, yeah and it is so inspiring like the idea and you know to, to go back to your your podcast you talked about how the burning is the most important film in the world because without it you wouldn't be where you are but like think about it if Clerks hadn't existed, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. Like without we Clerks, yeah, like Walt and Bride don't, you know, well, Walt doesn't get the stash and then they don't get, you know, do tell them Steve, Dave, and then you don't get to go work with them and then you don't come to Airport Plaza and I don't get the message from you saying, hey, you want to talk about movies? So like, it's such an important film and like every decision in my life has been inspired by Clerks, I feel like. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a movie that really changed my life and what I want to do because you know, I really didn't have any direction. I really didn't have a dream um, other than to, you know, have sex. That was my dream. <laughs> We've all had that dream. Yeah. I still have it. Yeah. Um, every night. Every night that dream. <laughs> it haunts me. But it's, you know, like that was the movie where it's like, this is what I want to do. I want to make movies and I want to do it with my friends. It's like making movies is cool on your own, but it's like, mm going to do it with your friends yeah. what's cooler than that you know mm -hmm. and like that's what clerks is and yeah. that's you know it changed me as a person no definitely it, it changed my life like it inspired my sense of humor it inspired like the way i interacted with people like um i know kevin's always said that you know randall was the guy he wanted to be i watched i'm like yeah i wish i was randall as well like not always like randall makes some bad decisions from time to time especially in clerks three but you know like he is, has the confidence, the bravado to you know talk about how he feels. And I was a very kind of meek child, you know, and teenager. Like I wasn't a cool kid at school. Um, I didn't have a lot of dates as we talked about before. And I didn't have a lot of friends, but if I'd had the bravado of Randall, maybe I would have. And I remember like years later, someone messaged me on Facebook, like a bully. And was like, Hey, I just want to apologize. And I also didn't realize how funny you were. And part of me was like, well, A, clerks. Um, but B, yeah. it's like, yeah, well, if you weren't like mocking me the whole time, you probably would have noticed I'm actually pretty funny, but anyway, okay, cool. Like, thanks. Um, the other thing I like about Clerks is, you know, we talk a lot more and more. I feel like the conversation is, is coming up more and more about representation in film, which is really important. I understand the, uh, the need for representation. I think Hollywood sometimes does representation for the sake of representation, which isn't always a good thing. But before Clerks, I'd never seen myself in a movie before. I wasn't like a sports guy or like a tough guy or like you know, anything like that. I was a guy who sat around talking about movies with his friends. I'd never seen that in a movie. So like in 2005, when I saw Clerks, I'm like, I like, Oh, there I am. That's me. And like, you know, as a middle-aged white guy, who's grown up in a, in a relatively privileged life, my representation play doesn't matter to, as, as, as others, but 
I don't know, it was kind of cool to see myself on screen after all those years. So I think Clerks is a really important film and does a lot of things that does a lot more than it gets credit for sometimes. Um, and, th- and that's, you know, a beloved film, but I think there's a lot more going on than people think about. Yeah, you know, it's it's deep. And, like, there's still things in the movie that, like, you know, like, I, whenever I talk about it, it's more about the impact it had on my life and rather mm. than the movie itself. But the movie itself still has a good message about getting over personal baggage and letting mm. things go and looking past things and, you know, change. And, like, the message of the movie is that you should change your own life and that, you know, you yeah. kind of have the power to do it yourself. And it's like, it's kind of just forgotten about as people talk about, you know, the impact of the movie. Mm. No, absolutely. And one of the best movie documentaries of all time for me is the snowball effect. Um, if, I'm sure you've seen it at least a couple of I times. No. Oh, really? Oh my goodness. Oh, you've got to, and, like, and maybe you're too close to it now because you know, you work with Walt and Bride stuff, but the snowball effect I would say is as impactful to me as the movie itself. Like watching him talk about, like kind of reflect on it. Trigger warning: there is some Harvey Weinstein stuff in there because he like was interviewed at the time. Um, but like you see, like Walt and Bry go to the rec center, like where Kev used to work, and like um, you hear like his mum talk about like how he was always into performance. And there's interviews with Ernie O'Donnell and Mike Bellicos and stuff like that. It's a really like personal documentary, and I find that it's a nice like nightcap. Like you've watched Clerks, and you kind of wind down the night with snowball effect is a great little double feature definitely worth watching my my kind of issue with a lot of um kevin's stuff especially recently is i and this was kind of my issue with clerks three is as someone who's a fan and has listened to every podcast the man has Mm. been on every word the man has said it's like i feel like i've heard everything and seen everything already and it's like that was kind of my issue with Clerks 3. It's like, okay, you ma- you basically made this movie for your own fans, which is fine. You're retelling the heart attack story, which I've heard you tell a million mm. times. In Cl- your Clerks 3 is about making Clerks, and I've heard you tell that story yeah. a million times. It's like, it it's again, it's like the Ouroboros. It's like, I know all this. Like, give yeah. me something new, you know? Yeah, if not for that end, yeah, I agree with you. If not for that ending, which I wasn't expecting at all, which I should have, it's set up in the first five minutes, like when Amy Sedaris is like, you need to watch yourself as well. Like, and I, I will yeah. spoil it because the movie's been out for over a year now. Um, but like, I was, wasn't expecting Dante to die. I was just like, and then when he did, like, it messed me up. Like, oh, I'm I, sad. I was like holding back tears in the theater when I saw it. I, I ugly cried, and then I remember, like, the next day I was talking to my wife. I'm like, you're not going to watch Clerks 3, are you? And she goes, no. I'm like, all right, I need to talk about I need to process this because a friend of mine has died. Like, I've known this guy for 20 years of my life, and now he's not going to be in anything else. He's gone. And I actually messaged Brian O'Halloran on Instagram. Did not expect a response. but was just like, hey, I just need to let you know. Like, I just watched Clerks 3 a couple of days ago. It's really messed me up. Like, I think you're fantastic in it, but I've got this huge hole in my heart now because this guy I've been watching on screen for the last, 30, like, 20 years is not going to be here. And he wrote like the loveliest message back. He was so nice. It was really cool. But um, I'm really glad he put that in there, even though it messed me up because I agree with you. Like I'd heard every story in that up until that point. So for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I like, I love clerks too. I like too. I, love, I love clerks too, just as much as clerks one. And yeah, if, you, if you put them both next to each other and you told me right now to watch one, I'd probably put clerks too, to be honest. I it wasn't as impactful to me, but it's like that was such a perfect ending for those characters. 
I I hate the I hate 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 the ending of Clerks Three. Um, I'll yeah, never, it's I'll, it's hot. I'll never agree with it. Like, you know, I I think it's such a needless, cruel thing to do, and mm. the movie immediately undercuts Clerks Two. So it's like every time I go and watch Clerks Two is like the happy ending there is like oh no in like a month they're both gonna die in a car accident. This yeah. is terrible. You yeah. Know? It, um, I I I do agree. I think for the long I, I, like Clerks is always in my top five. Um, so yeah, Clerks is, in, is my top five as well. And um, for the longest time, I always talked about it being my favorite. But since three came out, I've rewatched them all a bunch, and two I think does take the edge for me. Like. The addition of Elias is such a great idea. Like, he's the genius of that second film. Like, the whole Lord of the Rings debate, like, cracks me up every single time. Like, and you couldn't get away with a joke like that in a movie today. Like, it's too racy for modern audiences, but that's so funny. Um, you know, like, him, like, Randall trying to make him do some scrubbing, and then Dante opens up the bathroom door, and, like, Scott Moses sees him. And, ah, it's so funny. Um, I love Clerks too, so I agree with you. I think it is probably the more enjoyable of the th- of the three. Um, but any day of the week, one and two could you know kind of interchange for yeah. me. So I'll tell you a little theory I have about Clerks three, and I did a tell video essay on the Reviewing History channel. So if you watch Clerks three, right, hmm. the movie opens and um, Elias asks God to smite Randall, right? Yeah. And then shortly after, Randall has a heart attack, and they're in the hospital, and it's the scene, it's a, it's a shot, it's like a two-shot of Dante and Elias sitting next to each other on the bench, right? Mm. In the background, you will see um, a, uh, an automatic door, right, that yep. comes in and out. People are going in and out. Elias drops down and starts praying for God to spare um, Randall, right? Mm. And as he's praying, you will see the door open, but nobody come through it. Interesting. Unbeknownst to Elias. Then Randall is saved, but Mm. Elias doesn't know this is happening. He renounces God and renounces religion, right? In that Mm. moment. At the end of the movie... There is no one to pray for Dante, and he dies. Interesting. Now, I, I, I don't know if this is intentional. I believe it is because the timing is too perfect and there is no one coming through that door. And you even see lightning strike in the background before this happens. Oh, I'm gonna re- I watched it just before, a couple of weeks ago. I didn't pick up on this. I'm going to go rewatch it now. If you go to my YouTube channel, I have a see, I have a video breaking it down. Like, and I, and I that's what I'm doing. Yep. But I'm telling you, it it's only five minutes. The video too. It's just this is just my theory, but it, to me, it recontextualizes the movie. Uh, give that give that a watch. I think it's interesting. And I, I've, if I ever meet Kevin again, I want to ask him that. Mm. You know, he's spending a lot more time in Jersey, so you might get a chance to cross paths. Yeah. He's in his, his cinema a lot, isn't he? So, yeah. Um, I I've got to go check that out now because that's genius, and I re- like if yeah I'll watch it if I, if it all matches up I think you're right, like that makes too much sense. Um, yeah, all right, that's very cool. You give me a lot to think about now. <laughs> yeah, check that out. Um, you know I've I've mentioned this to people and I've watched the opening ten minutes to see if I'm crazy a bunch because like I wrote this whole essay. I was like, let me watch this thing again and pay attention and like he starts praying. 
lightning strikes in the background. You clearly see it. The door opens. No one comes through. Yep. And then the scene continues. It, mm. It's too... There's something there. And if yeah. it's not on purpose, that is crazy that there's a lightning strike and the door opens by itself at that moment. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, you just blown my mind. Just like, I'm going to go back and watch this now. Uh, all right. That's what I'm checking out after this today, definitely. Um, okay. Which brings us, man, to your number one. This is a killer list. And obviously, I'm partial to a lot of these films. So, of course, I agree with it. Um, yeah. But... Uh, you are also, I think, the first person to come on the show and talk about Clerks because none of my friends have watched Clerks. I, I think my, my friend Nick, who's been on the show, I, I said, oh, you should check it out. It's one of my favorite films. Definitely watch it. And we did a whole, like, 20-minute intro on one episode where he talked about it, and he, he loved it as well. I'm like, see, it still works. It's so relevant. But aside from that, no one's talked about it. So I'm glad to have someone talk about Clerks other than me. Um, awesome. Brian Rupert, what is your number one film on your list today? A number one film of all time, and it is a movie that has been – Number one for me since the first time I saw it, and it is the first Rocky movie. Of course. Rocky, 1976. Great film. Uh, it Has anyone brought that up? Uh, no, Rocky has not come up on the show before. Okay, so I, some, some fresh movies here. Yeah, definitely. And you can go wild on this one. You can like go like... Talk about it as much as you want because no one's talked about it before. So you get to break the ground here. Rocky of any movie that has ever been made, there is nothing that has been a testament to the human spirit like Rocky. Mm. Um, when you strip it down, Rocky is about endurance and mm -hmm. perseverance and heart and everything that someone trying to do anything it, like it's a boxing movie it could be about anything mm -hmm. it's about not giving up when faced with insurmountable odds and not quitting and just like finding the will within yourself when no one else believes in you that you're gonna make it happen regardless of anything and like that spirit just pushing him through like within him like the heart the grit the determination and like the montage, the Rocky music, mm. like, oh my God, that movie is perfect. Like the mm. final fight at the end, every time I watch it, like towards the end when uh, he like is screaming for Adrian and he doesn't care about the decision if he won or lost, it doesn't mm. matter in that moment. He went the distance. He did it. He proved it, you know, mm. like – it is perfect. And like, I, I used to be an athlete, you know, I fought in Taekwondo, like into the junior Olympics, uh, you know, as a kid, I, um, I wrestled in high school. I, I wrestled into college actually before oh, wow. I dropped out. So it's like as an athlete and a combat athlete, you know, it was something that was important to me. It's like, mm -hmm. I watched this guy and it's like, I started jogging every day after that and working out. And it's like, it's a movie that really speaks to me and the human condition. And like, if you push yourself and you work hard, like, and if you get knocked down, you just got to get up and just keep going. And like people that create stuff, we always hear about the successes of people, you know, but like, I think the failures of people are equally as important. Like I made a movie and it flopped and it failed. And I think it's bad. No one likes it, but it's like, 
it doesn't matter. I'm always, 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 whether it takes five years, 10 years, 20 years, I will make another movie. And if Mm -hmm. that one flops, I will keep going. And until Mm -hmm. I'm in the ground, they will not stop me from making movies and creating things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's what Rocky is. It's like, it is the human condition. It's putting yourself through hell to get that dream and that thing you want, whatever it may be, you Mm -hmm. know? It's it's self-belief. It's everything. I love that movie. Stallone is perfect as Rocky. It's his yeah. best role. Um, the script, which he wrote himself, is so personal and it's clear. It's optimistic. It's the start of, like, if you want to talk about film history, Rocky and Star Wars completely break the late 60s and 70s, like, malaise of films and everything being dark and depressing. Mm. It's like start to see hopeful endings again which carry through the 80s you know into today it's it's a game changer in that respect too it's just it's perfect i love 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 rocky yeah it's i mean i couldn't better prove it better myself like it's it's fantastic he's he's incredibly good in it like and stallone is one of those guys who when i grew up you know i grew up in the 90s i guess same time as you and like if you hadn't kind of seen Stallone films, he'd become a bit of a caricature. And people were like, oh, yeah, Stallone. Like, he's just like the action guy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But then, like, when I watched it, I didn't watch Rocky for the first time until I was in my late 20s. Um, I was very late to the game with it. I didn't even know that he lost. Like, I knew nothing about the film. I'd just not seen it. And I was blown away. I was like, like, this is Stallone? Like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'd just written him off because everyone else had kind of made this caricature. But he's so brilliantly done. Um, the music is excellent. Like, is, and it's his brother, isn't it? Frank Stallone that did the, the music. Uh, no, Bill Conti did the did the okay. music. I, I think Frank Stallone just sings um, the beginning. Take yeah. it back. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, um, he might have done some music for another Stallone film. I'm thinking of now, um, obviously, the steps is is one of the, maybe one of the most iconic shots of any movie in history. Like just. Yep. And like everyone's done it, you know, it's been imitated in films and anyone who visits Philadelphia is doing that. Like that's the first thing they're doing is come up those stairs, putting their arms in the air. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great flick. I, I just, I just don't have much more to say. I think you've said it perfectly. It's just a, a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, and if people haven't seen it, like go and watch Rocky tonight. Like you'll feel so inspired afterwards. Uh, you want to go for a run. As Brian said, you'll go for a jog. It like Rocky is a movie that, you know, the sequels kind of almost hurt its legacy. Mm-hmm. And I love the sequels. I love every Rocky movie except five. Five is like unwatchable. But is like, that Russia? Is that the Russia? I haven't no, seen the sequels, so. Uh, Russia is four. Yeah. Uh, five is uh, is like a street fight. It's okay. terrible. Okay, it's, like, sure. yeah, it's not, it's really, it's like garbage. Like it's junk. But it's like, they kind of hurt the legacy of the first one because like, it's like, oh, yeah, Rocky, you know, blah, blah, blah. You kind of brush it off. If Rocky was alone, mm. if, if there was no sequels, it would still have this amazing, incredible legacy. Mm. You know, Stallone is acting his ass off in it. And, yeah. you know, all the action guys of Bruce Willis, Stall- uh, Stallone, and Schwarzenegger, Stallone is actually the best actor. Like, he is a great actor. It's just... Mm. You know, he kind of got caught up in 80s action stuff and, like, being a movie star. But it's, like, when he acts and he is actually trying, like, in Rocky or Copland, he's Yeah, great. yeah. Yep. You know? And, like, the fight choreography is awesome. It, it's it's 
flawless. It really is. Like I remember I, I so I was a combat sports athlete and you know, I didn't win all the time. I was on like a losing streak and I was depressed. And my father was like, you, you know, watch Rocky. And, you know, we watched it and I was like, oh, he's going to win at the end, right? He's like, just keep watching. Mm-hmm. And he loses at the end. And it's like, that's not what matters. Yeah. You know, proving it to yourself. That's, that's yeah. the thing. So did you do it? Did you try? Then you might win next time. Just keep, keep at it. Um, yeah. A hundred percent. That's a great list, Brian. I, I love it. I think you got a real winner there. And yeah. Like there are some crowd favorites there, but they're crowd favorites for a reason because they're good movies. Um, yeah, excellent, man. Uh, did you have anything else you want to say about Rocky before we um, start wrapping up? Um, I, I think Rocky. Is, you know, I've said kind of. I feel like I've said everything about it. The one thing I will say is like a lot of movies since have taken the trope of the underdog winning a moral victory but losing mm. the actual thing. You know. Um, and this is kind of the classic example of that, you know, like remember the Titans almost, they yeah. lose in the football, but they win the moral victory. And that's yep. kind of, you know, Rocky starting that trend. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think what came first was bad news bears is after Rocky, isn't it? Or is it around? The I believe time? so. Let, let me check. Cause they do the same thing. Um, and bad news bears is another really great flick as well, actually. So that is a um, good movie. Yeah. The original is also 76. Oh, there you go. So, so they're contemporaries. Yeah, it's like when they did two volcano films in the nineties. It just like just happened to be both two sports films where the yes. the heroes lose at the end. <laughs> um, excellent. That's a killer list. I love it. I think that's really really good. Um, before we wrap things up today, we always end on a rapid fire question round. The question's the same each time. So, uh, if you listen, if you've done your homework, you'll know. If not, they're not too intense. Um, so, Brian Rupert, what was the last movie you watched? Oh. Oh, uh, The Messenger, Joan of Arc, because I had to watch it for (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Excellent. No worries. I won't get you to talk about it because it's going to come online in the next couple of days, I imagine. So we'll we'll hear your comments then. Um, You told us about your, you know, your gargantuan task of trying to watch every movie ever. So what's one movie that's been sitting on your watch list forever? You just keep putting it off. You're like, I've got to watch this one. Hmm. Uh, I have on my DVR saved, and I've been trying to watch it forever. Um, what's the fucking? Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it right now. Um, <laughs> it's the one about gas, and uh, Oscar Isaac is in it. Oh, um, um, uh, a most violent year. A most violent year. Yes, oh, I've had one. it on my list forever, and I want to watch it. So oh, nice one. That's a great it, flick. It, That's really enjoyable. Since I first moved into my house three years ago, I recorded it on the DVR. Yep. And every time I go to watch it, I'm like, yeah, the time's not right. And, you know, and I end up watching something else. But that's, like, been there forever. That's a movie I don't think there's ever a right time. I think I watched it at 6 a.m., like, on a Saturday morning once. I woke up. This is before I had a daughter. And I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just put on Most Violent Yeah, I'm like, this probably wasn't the right time to watch it, but I don't know when the right time was. Um, but it is a great flick. And Jessica Chastain as well is like, ah. I've been watching a bunch of her stuff recently. I just rewatched Interstellar and I just rewatched um, uh, It Part Two. And whilst that film has its flaws, like she's just incredible. Like I know she gets all the accolades, but well deserved. She's a great actress. She um, is a great actress. Uh, Can I tell you my big critique with uh, It Part Two? Go for it. It Part Two does a thing which I call video game storytelling. Yep. Where it's 
it's all it's it's the clearest example of it where it's like characters have to go through levels yeah to get the magical thing yeah to fight the boss yeah it's, it's like that should be a video game where I'm playing through them on a side scroller trying to get whatever MacGuffin it is. Yeah. And that's the problem with that movie. I 100% agree. I remember I watched that. because so the first part I love. I think chapter one is brilliant. And those Great. kids are, are excellent. And when I went to see part two, I was really excited. I thought the, car, the adult cast was really good. They did a great job bringing the kids back. I think the film would have been hurt if they didn't have the kids there for flashbacks again. Um and no one is doing a bad job in that movie. It's just, yeah, it's very formulaic. It's like, all right, here's Beverly's story. Here's you know, Bill's story. And, like, here's the thing they get scared of. And then, okay, now it's a giant CGI battle, um, which is, is probably the weakest part of the film for me is that final kind of boss battle. It's a boss battle. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, did you, um, did you uh, do you know what cameos were supposed to happen in the first chapter, which didn't? No, I don't. Okay, so in the book um, of it, and I think in the Tim Curry version too, there's the scene where they're at the movies and like the monsters come to life. Yeah, and yeah. Like, and mummies and stuff. In the the it uh, remake, they were supposed to have Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, oh, and Jason cool. Voorhees, like the '80s slashers, show up to, to that's get. That's really the cool. Yeah, and I think it got bogged down in rights stuff. That's a, that's a problem, and this is you know going back to our complaints about the studio system earlier. Great ideas and creativity are stifled by the money people. It's like why wouldn't you just do the cool thing? Because then you have a better movie and you get more word of mouth. Like, uh, it's so dumb. It's like the whole Spider-Man MCU thing. It took so long to get in there. We got him finally, but boy, it took a while to get him there. <laughs> like, um, alrighty. Um, I talked about this. I kind of confessed this before. Um, Brian, are you a movie crier? I am. Uh, yeah. I am emotional. I am a crier. I will cry at a movie every every year uh, when I watch It's a Wonderful Life. I cry at the end. Yeah. Um, I cry every year when I watch Rocky, uh, yeah. and I show it in my film class to my students. So I sit in the back of the room and I'm trying to like <laughs> like do it. Sometimes what I'll do is before they get there, I'll like watch the ending myself. So I've like kind of seen it. So I get it out, you know. But uh. Yeah, so I am. I am a big movie crier. I'm an emotional viewer. I am. Um, I, uh, there's nothing better than a movie cry for me. I actually don't really cry in real life. I haven't cried in real life since I was a teenager. Um, there's probably some digging to be done there. Um, but so if I'm like, oh, it's been an overwhelming couple of weeks. I need to cry. I'll just like, all right, what's going to make me cry? Oh, big sick. That'll make me cry. Let me find something that's going to get get the waterworks going so I can clear out the <laughs> system and start again. Um, I figure I, I had a feeling you would be. I'm like, he loves movies. He's going to be a movie crier. Um, all righty, you might have already answered this, but um, is there an actor or an actress where it doesn't matter what the movie is, you'll follow them anywhere? You're like, that person's in it? I'm checking it out. Oh, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Tanny Jr. is my favorite actor. Yeah, and, he's great. And like, it's not just because of the Iron Man stuff. It's I think he is the rare actor that can do awesome drama stuff mm-hmm. and also nail the comedy stuff mm-hmm. like his comedy is just as good as his drama. Yep. Like Tropic Thunder. He's hysterical. Yes. You know, um, people forget he was, he was on SNL. He had a season as a cast member. On yeah. Saturday Night. Um, he, he's a very funny guy when given the opportunity. Um, obviously he's great as Iron Man and you know, he kind of is the reason the MCU is what it is. He's the mm-hmm. foundation. 
the block. But um, I just think he's a phenomenal actor. Chaplin is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that movie. I love his performance in it. If Robert Downey Jr. is acting, I'm there. Like I went and watched um, his Doolittle movie. Oh, I haven't seen it. How is how is it? How's he? He's good. Um, yeah. The movie is it's, look. It's not a good movie, mm. but the reaction to it was so visceral. Yeah. You know, it's not as bad as everyone says. It's a kid's movie, you know? And that's it, because everyone's like, oh, he stopped doing Marvel for Doolittle. It's like, no, he stopped doing Marvel because he'd done it for like 12 years or something. Like, he wasn't like, you know, leaving Iron Man to that. It was time to move on, and he wanted something different. Um, I'll check it out eventually. I like the trailer. I thought it was fine. Um, I agree with you, man. Like, I love him in um, in the, the Judge. I think The Judge is a really underrated flick, and he's really good in it. Um, the Singing Detective is a movie I've never heard anyone talk about, but he's really good in The Singing Detective. It was right before Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and obviously that's a masterpiece as well. Um, he's a great actor. That's a great answer. Um, you know, it might be a oh. fan favorite answer, but a great answer. Um, uh, Martin Cole is great too. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's he's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm I want that third Sherlock Holmes movie to come yes, out. Yes, I, I love his take on the character. hundred percent. And that like the second one is really underrated. It's one people don't talk about too much. Um, it is really good, but that first one, especially like with the narration, him like kind of just kind of deciphering how he's going to block the blows and how he's going to anticipate the fight. Like, who would have thought? Like, that's how you're going to do a Sherlock Holmes film, but it works so well. And he's great in it. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love. it. Um, all righty, we don't like to be too negative on the show, but uh, I will ask you, Brian, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, I have a great answer for this. Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple. Yeah, go for I, it. I'm a film lover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's not many I dislike, but I will tell you a couple. The worst movie I have ever seen is Skinamarink. Have you seen that? No, but I heard you talk about it a lot on your podcast, and uh, I heard you remade it on your phone. Um. <laughs> I, re- I remade it on my phone, yeah. Um, Skin of a Rink, I remember like it was coming out. It was getting all this hype, and me and my mm. friend, uh, me and Chuck, who also does TSD video, and Jimmy the Hair Guy, we were like, let's go see Skin of a Rink. I, I, I sold them on it. So I, you feel like an asshole when you do that to people, and you're Ooh, like, yeah. let's go see this movie, and then it's junk. I oh, like, I took was, four friends to go see League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in 2000. So, uh, so I've been there. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie. So I'm sure it's not as bad as I remember. But my I would have been happy it. if you took me. I like that movie. I got to go back and watch. I'm like, it's surely it's not as bad as I remember. But everyone like hated me for taking to that one. So, yeah. So it's not. It's really not as bad. But yeah. Skinamarink is a movie that is like grainy, blurry, mm. dark. And it's like shots of walls and static. There's no plot. It's it's really just like kind of noise and shots of walls. So yeah. that is that is the worst movie I have ever seen. Like it was is like two hours. I felt like an asshole because I made my friends <laughs> like go and see this thing. And it's like shots of corners and walls and like mm. yeah, it's junk. It's like I can't recommend watching it to anybody unless it's like you don't believe me when I'm telling you how bad it is. Like, <laughs> yourself. It's uh, it's the horror genre, like, you, and I'm sure you feel this way as well. It seems to be a pretty common feeling. The horror genre it seems to be the genre that is the least respected and most underestimated of all film genres because it never gets any recognition by critics. Um, the fact that Sorex finally got some recognition was lovely. Um, that you know they're finally giving you know the genre some love. 
but it doesn't get much recognition and everyone thinks they can do it. Like, oh, give me $2 and a bucket of red paint and I can make you a horror film. And it's not the case at all. There's so much more involved than that. But like in the post Blair Witch world, like everyone thought they could pick up a camera and do it. And then we've just had like wave after wave. Of, like there's more bad movies in the horror genre than any other genre because anyone with two bucks in the camera thinks they can do it. And it's just not the case. No, it takes skill. Yeah. yeah and Skip Rank is the worst movie I have ever seen. Um, my runner up okay. would be, um, I see, see the reason I don't even count this as a movie personally is have you seen Gummo? No, it's been on my list. Is that Harmony Corinne? Is that because it is Harmony Corinne? He makes some weird flicks, and like I don't know if I'd be able to handle it now, but in my 20s, as I said before, I was into like the edgy, weird stuff, so I'd watch the Larry Clark flicks, I'd watch yep. Harmony Corinne stuff like Spring Breakers. I loved when I saw it. I don't know if I'd still like it now, but I was like, what a like it that was one of the few films I watched and after I was like, I need a shower. I feel really like dirty after this movie. Like I liked that, you know, that they pushed the envelope. I'd watch, you know, Human Centipede and I'd watch, you know, um Cannibal Holocaust and um and Salo and stuff like that. I don't know if I could stomach it now, but yeah, Gummo is one where I'm like, it's meant to be messed up. I probably should have watched <laughs> it when I was younger, but uh you're saying it's it's not worth watching? I think it's terrible. Mm. Uh, I don't even like classify it as a movie. Yeah. Um I hate that movie with a passion. Uh, Anthony, my co-host on the show, will tell you it's brilliant, and he loves it. Um, <laughs> I, I hate Gummo. And and as an aside, I will tell you the one movie that I have not been able to finish. Okay. It's the only movie I turned off, and I could not finish it, and it was My Dinner with Andre. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. And I've always wanted to because I loved the parody in Community where they did it. I'm like, well... It like Abed's got a weird taste of taste in films. I'm sure it's worth watching, but I've never got around around to it. But you're saying it's a tough one. What it is is it's two people having a conversation in a restaurant. Mm. That is the entire movie. One character is a rambling jackass, pompous douchebag <laughs> who doesn't shut up about like his nonsense. And it's just the same thing over and over again. He goes on like a rant about something. And then uh, Wallace Shawn goes, tell me more. And it <laughs> continues. And, and it goes on and on and on. And like I got halfway through this thing. I was like, I can't fucking listen to this guy rant anymore yeah. about his bullshit. And I turned it off. It's the only movie I have not like watched start to finish. I'm gonna. I might have to avoid this one because I'm gonna watch this and save myself in there. But like, oh, I guess I was represented, and I'm I'm the idiot who won't shut up. Um. <laughs> He's talking about like um like boomer liberal like ideology. <laughs> He's, like, He's like he's like. Did you know, man, that that cities are just modern prisons that we built for ourselves? Ooh, that it's like a giant unbearable. beehive, <laughs> and it's like. And it's like, okay, I can listen to that to a point, but it's like two hours long. And after yeah. an hour of this, it's like I've had my fill. I can't do this. Like if we were at the dinner table, I would get up and walk away. Yeah, I was just saying, I've been in those conversations before. I'm like, uh, when, where's my, how's my exit strategy? So at least with the flick, I can turn it off. Uh, all right, interesting, because that is one that is revered. People love that one. So it's nice to hear a different take on it for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. like – Hey man, you know what's cool? Like I found this random tribe on my travels and they just smoke weed all day and like jump over a fire. Isn't that cool? And like it's <laughs> deep and like he's just rambling about it. It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, it's genius. Uh, all right. Movies to avoid. Skin and Marink doesn't surprise me. I remember people like, it's the scariest film since Paranormal Activity. I was like, oh, well, I didn't think Paranormal Activity was very scary. So, okay. like, And that's just not my jam. I'm just not a paranormal fan footage guy. Like, There are very few fan footage films that will capture my attention. Like, I thought Creep was quite good, um, you know, and and, and obviously Blair, which, which has its place as well. Um, and Cannibal Holocaust, I don't need to ever watch again, but that's a decent fan footage film as well. But for me, the genre as a whole, it's just like, it comes back to that whole argument of like, give me two dollars a camera, I can make a movie. It's like, there's a bit more to it than that. And um, yeah, but uh, some good ones in there as well. Um, alrighty, last one. It's the, it's really a not so rapid fire round. I should have <laughs> warned you that. Uh, last question, Brian. Uh, what's one movie they should never remake? Your opinion that you never want to remake it. One movie that they should never remake. See, I, I'm going to be honest. I kind of feel like you could remake anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't have a sacred cow like that because I think that it's always worth trying to find a new avenue to tell a story. Um, I think that if you remake something, you need to come at it with a really fresh idea mm-hmm. and bring something new to it. And you need to honor the legacy in a way of the original at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to do. Like, I wouldn't recommend a remake of The Godfather, but I also wouldn't be opposed if someone wanted to try and give it a shot, you know? Mm. Uh, take it in a new direction, light it differently, you know, whatever. Um, I really don't have one that I that I feel strongly shouldn't be remade. Um, I would say Rocky, just because it's my favorite movie, but, um, you know, even Rocky kind of had a loose remake with Creed. I was going to say Creed play is kind of like a... So like a reboot, remake kind of thing, yeah. Um, yeah. That's I think that's a perfectly acceptable answer. No one's ever said that before, and I like the answer. It's like, no, no, there are no sacred cows because the originals exist. I, I think that's a perfectly fine answer. Um, excellent. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's like I can't imagine ever being like, like hearing like, oh my god, they remade friggin' Ben Hur. Like, I mean, they well, did they, remake. They, they did, <laughs> yeah. And and you know what, Ben Hur is a remake too. It's a remake of a silent film. Yeah, well, it's like The Thing. Like, everyone talks about The Thing, and The Thing is a remake, and it's one of the best remakes, not only the best remakes, best films, period. Like, yeah. And The Fly. A Fly is another, is another one where it's like, if they hadn't have remade The Fly, we would never get that brilliant Jeff Goldblum Cronenberg film, which still to this day, those effects are stomach churning. Like, it's so upsetting to watch. Uh, yeah, it's gross. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it is. <laughs> and like, um, oh, fuck, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. It was something with remakes. I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's a great answer. And I think not you know, not having any sacred cows is a really good way to look at it. Because especially as film fans, it's very easy for us to kind of get caught up in like what we love and what we're passionate about and forgetting like, hey, it's still there. Like, you know, we just did an episode um, on the first half of the Harry Potter franchise that dropped this morning. My wife and I were talking about it. And I was saying, like, five years ago, I would have said never remake those films. But now I'm like, you know what? Remake them. Do, like, an animated series. Like, just, you know, utilize those characters and make them available to more, more of an audience. Like, my daughter's three years old. She can't watch those movies, but if you had a cartoon, she would watch every single one of them. Like, so I agree. I think there are no sacred cows, and it's good to be open-minded like that. Yeah, it's like, look, I don't think it's – I don't think we're far enough away from those Harry Potter movies to remake them, mm. you know? I feel like to me, something like that just feels like a cash grab. Yeah. Where it's like the studio is just like, 
they, I mean, the Warner Brothers came out and said it. They're like, we're not using the Harry Potter franchise enough. Mm. And it's like, you know, I think it's those movies aren't dated really as far as effects. Like, yeah. I doubt you're going to take the story in a radically new direction. Mm. You know, like Harry's going to be like having beer parties and chugging. <laughs> like to me, that's something where it's like I really don't think you you should. But you know, I guess they can. I I doubt it'll be for me. Yeah. You know, My, I, I don't think those movies have aged. Like they're remaking Lord of the Rings. Yeah, with Peter yeah. Jackson. Like, oh I, I, really? I, I'm pretty sure he's directing them, and it's oh like, my God. what's what's the point of this? We have three; they're already perfect. Yeah, that's that is weird. My pitch to my wife, which she didn't like, I was like, just do, give me a sitcom of Harry Potter, do it in the style of the Inbetweeners, and like it doesn't have to be like Harry and Ron. Just get like the other Gryffindor guys or like the Hufflepuffs, and they're like just trying to hook up with girls and failing miserably. Like, give me that sitcom. That's what I want. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Like, I like the Fantastic Beasts movies, you know, like as like a fun aside in the universe, like seeing like something I haven't seen in the world. That's cool. Yeah. Like, I, give me the Cimarill for Lord of the Rings. That, that it's Harry Potter is such an interesting one because like it's it's falling into the same trap as the Star Wars films where every Star Wars film has to be about Skywalkers. It feels like every Harry Potter film is focused on a very certain period of time, like even the Fantastic Beasts ones. Like Dumbledore's in them now, and like it's tying back to Hogwarts. It's like, no, no, go to like the 1940s and show me wizards fighting Nazis, or like go to like the post Civil War and show me a Western in the magical world, and like there are dark wizards riding horseback. Like, you know, and oh no, there's a great train robbery, and it happens to be the pieces of the Hogwarts Express. Like, I don't know, like do something ridiculous. You can tie it back, but just go. There's so many different places you can go. You don't have to go back to like that same kind of period of time, um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they keep setting it at the school. It's like, yeah. I mean, how many times are we going to see this fucking school? Not everything in the world revolves around one school. You know, yeah. it's oh, like they've introduced other schools. Go to the other schools. Show me like the all yeah. girls school. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I think it's a, it's a missed opportunity. And Star Wars, uh, don't even get me started on how like they butchered their universe. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> yeah that's definitely a whole other episode um that is it you've survived uh your first your first time on the show brian so um thank that's you so great. much for I coming on oh i'm glad i was like i was like oh, i hope he i hope he digs the vibe of the show because you know like I've, he's been on a few podcasts so he'll be able to like compare and stuff so i'm glad you had a good time um obviously you're welcome back anytime and anytime you want to come chat movies uh hit me up for sure uh before we get out of here let's do some plugs so obviously uh, take it away. Tell them about your show, where they can find it. Okay. Don't forget to pimp the Christmas episode. Uh, yes. So reviewing history is my show. Uh, what we do on the show is we dive deep into the history of movies. So if we watch a movie based on a true story, we will tell you the reality of what's real in the movie, what's fake, what they got wrong, what they did. We walk through the movie beat by beat and we crack jokes. It's mostly a comedy show where we're just having fun, making each other laugh and telling you a little history about the show. Um, our big project that is dropping is our first Christmas album. Uh, it's two podcasts. One is all Christmas games and themes and Christmas talk. And then we're also doing one about it's a wonderful life. Um, we're going to talk about the movie beat to beat, have fun with it, make jokes, and it's just going to be a blast. Uh, Half the money from this is going to St. Jude's Children's Hospital for international listeners or those who don't know. 
It is a children's hospital in America dedicated to helping children with cancer. Um, it's a charity that's near and dear to my heart. I've raised money for them in the past. Uh, I really think it's a great cause. Um, you know, this isn't just a shameless cash grab from it. It's only half a cash grab because we are going <laughs> to make some money for it. It's, you know, we put a lot of work into the show, so we do want to make something. But half of all the money from the show that will be get that you can get from the album will be going to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. You can go to bandcamp.com and you could search for reviewing history, or you can type in this ain't no whack Christmas. Uh, we have a really awesome cover. I think it's great. We uh, have merch for that as a limited time on the reviewing history store. You can go check that out as well. Uh, November 24th, it is dropping midnight Eastern standard time. Please, please, please check out our album. Go buy it. If you like it, send a copy to a friend, you know, spread the word about our show, check out regular episodes. But honestly, more important than that is raising the money for St. Jude's. Even if you donate it yourself, and you don't buy our album, go do that. It's great. Um, absolutely. It's a great cause. A uh, really, really cool cause. Um, and where can they find you on socials? Is it just at Reviewing History or? Uh, Reviewing History pod everywhere except Twitter or X, whatever it is now, <laughs> because of their character limit. There it is, Review History pod. Reviewing History pod everywhere else. Uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Reviewinghistorypod.com. You can follow me personally on all social media at Brian Rupert. That's with two P's. Uh, follow me on Letterboxd. I rank and review every single movie I watch, including the ones in my personal life, not just the ones for the show. Uh, I have a big list of everything we've watched for reviewing history, ranking them. I rank franchises. I review franchises. Uh, you know, Letterboxd. Are you on there? I'm not. It's one of those things where I keep like I'm like if I do this, my I will have no life. <laughs> like, oh, dude, you it's it's for you. It's for guys like us who just love yeah. movies, and like it's great to have a log of everything you've watched. You know, oh, I do, I do log it I, in my iPhone notes. I log everything I've watched every year. <laughs> so, but yeah, I should get I should get on it. I really should. You should, and it's a great way, you know, to keep it like because you can rank movies you do for your pod and all mm. that stuff. I think it's awesome. So. It's film social media. It's great. Excellent. Little plug for Letterboxd as well. Yeah. Um, check out Brian's show, 100%. I've only listened to the one episode, but what I listened to was brilliant. Really, really fun. Really eye-opening. They talked about um, the history of Cropsey, um, which is a bit of an urban legend in Staten Island, but also maybe linked to some real um, murders as well. Um, and they talk about The Burning, which is a really wonderful hidden gem slash from the 80s. So go check that out and then listen to everything. That's what I'll be doing moving forward. Um, thank you again, Brian, for coming on the show. Um, thank you. Just, this was a blast. It, it's been an honor, a real privilege to have you on and to connect, you know, have find a connection to something that I've loved for so long as well. Um, once you're done following oh, and supporting Brian, come and support my show. Uh, you can jump online, uh, find us on Instagram. I'm only on Instagram. I was a teenage film snob, underscores between every single word. I post pictures, videos. Um, I will respond to all comments. So if you want to have a chat, happy to have a chat with you. Um, if you like the show, give us a review. We've yet to have one. I'll take a one-star review. Tell me you hated it. I don't care. Tell me your top five favorite films. Let's have a chat. And if you want to support the show financially, you can buy a T-shirt from uh, tpublic.com. Just search for I Was a Teenage Film Snob or check the links in Instagram. I make next to no money. It's just about spreading the word. The shirts are awesome. They were designed by Josh, who's been on the uh, podcast quite a few times. Uh, they're comfy and they look cool. And that is everything. So thank you again to Brian. He was wonderful. I can't wait to have him on again. 
And as we say every single time on this show, guys, sorry, I was sorry, I one, Go, I go, 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 do it. Sorry, I'm sorry. I got to say this before we get off. Uh, the Tell Him Steve Dave Patreon, I do video work on there. Uh, check it out. Uh, there's all sorts of cool stuff coming, documentary projects and all sorts of cool Tell Him Steve Dave related antics that I work on. Uh, recommend giving that a listen. They have their Christmas episode coming out too. And for five bucks a month, you will get an insane amount of catalog. It is catalog. it is the best value online for any content provider. Um, I signed up for the Patreon when they first launched it because I heard they were doing Wirebrise. Um, and Walt Flanagan has done an amazing, like there is nothing like this out there. It's for $5 a month or I think it's $7 Australian. There is so much wonderful content. Um, Rock and Roll All Night podcast every day is one of my favorite shows. Uh, Tales from Behind the Fake Counter, which is all about comic men. Really, really great show. Go support them as well. Uh, it's five bucks a month. Um, and if you want to see the video stuff that uh, Brian's doing, I think it's 10 bucks a month, but still definitely worth it. So, um, yeah, definitely worth plugging because you're involved in that as well. Um, and it's both, it's my favorite podcast, so you can't go wrong. Um, I think that's all our plugs. So I'll wrap up. Uh, as I said, guys, uh, as I say every week, I was a teenage film star, but I promise you I'm trying to be better. I butchered that, but we'll see you next week. <laughs>